0: You're listening to Girls Gone Canon, covering His Dark Materials.
1: Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Reads, His Dark Materials, Episode 26, The Amber Spyglass, Chapters 32 through 34. I am one of your hosts, Eliana.
0: And I am another one of your hosts, Chloe. I am... I mean, we're, we're in the final countdown. This is it. We're reading Morning, Chapter 32, Marzipan, Chapter 33, and there is now Chapter 34, which of course will be followed by a discussion. Uh, how this works is, if you have not finished The Amber Spyglass, no worries. We are gritting our teeth together and not spoiling the very last <laughs> handfuls of chapters of the book to you today today. However, if you're like us, I'm sure you sped ahead and finished it by now.
1: It's like right there. if
0: you are spoiled, I mean, it's so close. How could you stop? I couldn't. Maybe the tears blurred in your eyes are stopping you. But in the discussion at the very end of the episode, we will make sure that you know that it is time for you to log off if you have not read the novellas, The End of the Amber Spyglass, or The Books of Dust, La Belle Sauvage, which we have covered here on our podcast, Or if you have listened to us cover the secret commonwealth with the Dark Material podcast and her Dark Materials.
1: Indeed. And you know what? Yeah, we are getting close to the end of the books. But we are actually starting to become in mourning ourselves. (laughs) Not just, I I mean, this is... Sure. This is about morning the time of the day, but I'm just saying I don't
0: know. It has a double meaning in my opinion. It like does. it's kinda clever. I know he thought about it at least once. I'm right? sure because this does feel like the calm before some of the storm. Indeed. Like you think that all the fighting is over. <laughs> it is mostly, but gonna be uh, so not at the this. fighting of the soul. <laughs> not the fighting of the 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 heart and the soul. Yeah. That continues on. Absolutely Hey, you know, we have to apologize. We've been a little off schedule. The last couple months as we near the end of the book, I know you're all raring for the end of this book, but it turns out when you're traveling the worlds through windows with only an alethiometer and a spyglass to accompany you and two worthless demons who have fucked off to frolic, right? Uh, You end up moving some episodes around. So you will hear from us at the end of the month again this month so that we can finish the Amber Spyglass next month, June 2022. What a journey it's been. Uh, After that, we're going to take a little bit of a break from His Dark Materials on Main. We'll probably talk about His Dark Materials here and there in our Discord or for patrons at some of our bonus episodes, like this month's Patreon we'll talk about. But we will return eventually, I'm sure, with Book of Dust 3, whatever it's called.
1: And Book of Dust 2, right? We do... Still have three. to Two cover the secret Commonwealth, but when will we cover it? That's a secret even from us. <laughs> Just like yeah, I don't know. It's final we'll throw it around. Yeah, still secret from Lyra.
0: Probably not till next year. I mean, I think uh, or after series three. You know, we will yeah. come back for series three. That'll probably be the next time you hear from us after the book ends. After we finish Amber Spyglass, you'll hear from us when his Dark Materials series three on BBC HBO kind of pumps back up right i'm sure we'll come out with a couple couple little teasers and we'll do our weekly coverage but until then we will take a little break we don't want to we don't want to overdo it because we're going to have a lot of book to get into with the secret commonwealth
1: Mm -hmm. and i think you know depending we'll see like if anything inspires us and stuff for patreon episodes as well but i know that we've we've Batted around a few ideas that we haven't gotten around to yet on Patreon, but yes, several apologies. I mean, like just in general, we know that the schedule's been kind of crazy. We've just been going through, you know, a lot of different things in our lives and also illnesses, etc. So,
0: a lot of changes. We <sighs> too are going through puberty, like little <laughs> Myra. I mean,
1: yeah, I don't know. my, bo- like my body right is now. changing. <laughs> I'm I just, I just wanted to change back right now. So, <laughs> yes.
0: So this month if you're a patron in the stranger tier and above that's the $5 tier and above we will be releasing a Imagination Chamber episode and Pullman just put out The Imagination Chamber it's a new novella more like lantern slides right if you recall the lantern slides at the end of each of the books this is this is basically lantern slides and interestingly enough it is being released in the UK only uh, our friend Warren, you might remember him if you've listened to our label sauvage episodes. He received a response when he asked Philip Pullman on Twitter that his US publishers didn't want it.
1: Yeah, very interesting. So, we'll see how this goes. Sorry to our US listeners if you're not able to I think get a hold of it as easily. Um it seems like it seems like you can order it from the UK and I mean like mm-hmm people do that all the shipping. time with books. Yeah. It's just like I guess yeah. shipping etc. but it seems like maybe ebooks aren't available at the moment Not. in the US. Um mm-hmm. if that's your preferred which method of consumption which yeah. is
0: mine. Chloe is very
1: sad. It depends for me I, I like my e-reading. Yeah, like I think I have the, I have the collectors as an ebook, but I would have preferred mm-hmm. to have I would have preferred to have this one I think as an ebook. Um but I want to have
0: both. I think the book's really pretty. The cover's yeah. cute, from what I've seen. I'd like, I'd like a collector's copy. Ha <laughs> Of, I mean, I'd like to own all of them. Which collectors is coming out again this year? Oh, if that's you right. Listen yeah. to Our episode on it at Patreon. Uh, we did talk about it, but that is coming out. The collectors will be out as a novella, as like a, a physical, nice hard copy. It doesn't exist very many places in hard copy, so that's interesting. But that's coming out as a, a nice special edition, and I do want an ebook version of this book because i kind of feel like it's a waste of paper imagination chamber from what i'm hearing it's just like there's 80 pages or something and only 50 pages of actual
1: well info i wonder i wonder if it's like really nice like if it's stylized etc and like Mm -hmm. i know that's my copy of lyra's oxford um i know someone was pointing this out and yes Yes, I know that there are inserts and all of these um, bonus things at the end of *Lyra's Oxford* mm-hmm. and at the end of *Once Upon a Time in the North*. These ones I do have physical copies of, and so that's that's really fun. It really makes those feel worth it and special. And I wonder if *Imagination Chamber* has those. Like like you said, it sounds like it's a collection of vignettes, but perhaps there yes. are illustrations. Like *Serpentine*. *Serpentine* has illustrations, which I think make it really fun.
0: Yeah, I thought Serpentine was definitely worth it when it came to that. Uh, from my understanding, it is it is a little bit artistically inclined. It's very fleetingly, though. It's like supposed to be a fleeting glimpse into these bits of the imagination chamber. Yeah, uh, but I've heard some stuff. I've heard there's some, some tidbits about a certain William that we like and
1: hmm. uh,
0: some stuff about a certain Mrs. Lonsdale even that I like. Yeah. So no spoilers. I haven't read it yet. uh, And
1: we're trying to I just know.
0: (laughs) I'm trying. I will say if you've got a friend in the UK, I know over at the Girls Gone Canon Discord where patrons in the thunder tier and above hang out. Uh, a bunch of our UK friends have been so generous to offer to get us copies, and anyone that's kind of looking for a copy, they've all been like, hey, we'll get you one, we'll ship you one. So if you come hang out there, if you want to be a Thunder Tier patron and above and hang out with us and bitch about his dark materials, uh, they got your back too. So,
1: Yeah. Though, again, it seems like it it's available to purchase online um, through yeah. some of the, the UK publisher certain sites that will ship. Sorry, we're just trying to not like stand certain sites, you know, but we use them. That's where right I my ebooks. Um, anyway, so yeah, other historic materials activities that are going on in the Girls Gone Canon world. So, this is something that has been really fun and great to watch the community uh, do. We do have um, a historic materials rewatch going on that has been. Spearheaded by our friend Pete, who has uh, roped in other members.
0: Yeah, Pete wanted to share the love, so he has joined up with a bunch of our patrons who are all hosting their own week. This week, our friend Janice, who is quite a poet, is hosting it actually for Cave. And I want to say uh, our friend Jimmy is hosting the Tour de l'Angeli episode from Series 2. And one of our newcomers who just finished the series and just is finishing the show, Brit, she is doing The Scholar. I don't think that she knows what a fucking good rip-roaring episode she chose. (laughs) She's watched it and she thinks it's the best of the season, which I agree. It's such a good episode. Has a lot of great Mrs. Coulter and Mary Malone parallels and also contrasts that really make you think about their characters. It's a really great episode. If you haven't watched His Dark Materials series one and two, and you are a fan, it is probably the purest adaptation of any book to show without sacrificing a lot of character and, you know, uh, just storytelling. I think it's a really great adaptation, and you should check it out.
1: Yeah, and it's it looks like they're trying to keep a lot of the same themes, etc, and the same character beats, which is really great, um, even if there are some things that they have to adapt every now and then. I mean, times have changed, right, since these books have come out, yeah. as well as the constraints of literal budget you know we can't only watch things in an imagination chamber things <laughs> require budgets and real people and physical constraints are not real um so capitalism lives, as far withstanding as well capitalism also just like physical physical limits you yeah. know um like how they
0: do their best
1: yeah like people cannot actually fly <laughs> yet
0: uh i'm like what you're like, Eliana, uh, what? Don't give it away. All right. God, it's really crazy, you guys. We miss you. You know, We don't talk to you for a month. Yeah. I feel like I haven't talked to I you feel guys like I have a lot in to a say. month. A lot to tell you. Uh, brunch this month, brunch slash happy hour. If you are a Thunder Tier patron, we do a monthly hang where for a couple hours, right now on Sundays because of the His Dark Materials rewatch on Saturdays from uh, usually either 1 to 3 or 3 p.m. on for the rewatch. But brunch is on Sundays from 1 to 3 Eastern time, Eliana time zone. And this month, it's going to be on the 22nd of May. So you got a little time? Come hang. I bet we'll play some games and chat. Again, I feel like it's been ages. We've missed you guys, so we'll have fun.
1: We might try to, I know that we discussed doing a, like, PowerPoint karaoke as opposed to a PowerPoint potluck, where someone is given a PowerPoint presentation they know nothing about and must therefore present on it. So that's that's an idea that's floating around as a possible that could activity. Be fun.
0: <laughs> that could be really fun. Uh... Uh-huh. You know, I'm bummed about the timing. We've been so crazy this month with everything happening. We went, to, I I went to Ice and Fire Con. We had uh, a couple. We had a live versus online brunch, right? That was very fun. We've just been a little crazy, and we really wanted our friend Ariana to come on this episode with us. It didn't work out for timing. She sent a really great email that had a bunch of stuff that we can't tell you about in full because some of it is a little dusty, a little spoilery. But she had sent us a great message about Marzipan and how she had wanted to talk about it being kind of a rebuttal to Turkish delight in Narnia. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about that later. But missing her, wish she could be on with us maybe some other time.
1: Yeah. Um it was it was a really, really great email. And I, I, I think I, I would have really loved to like have Ariana give those thoughts. But again, we're good, we might, if Ariana's fine with it, share some of the other ones later again a little dusty but this was like a wonderful wonderful point and we'll get to that but first here comes morning chapter 32
0: the morning comes the night decays the watchmen leave their stations william blake ah william blake that's right i hear pullman likes him
1: yeah it's not like (laughs) he heads almost every chapter so a lot more of him lately We have a soft breeze whistling across the golden prairie that Lee Scoresby's ghost had gone to. The insects, flowers, creatures, they all chirrup. The only living things, silent and still, in the waking landscape are a boy and a girl, lying asleep, back-to-back, pale and hungry, and they seem to be in the last stages of exhaustion. Lyra's the first one to wake, murmuring, Pan, Pan. She's weak and weary and doesn't move for some time, listening to the insects and the birds, remembering... How good the world was. She watches Will, asleep, filthy, dusty, sweaty. Uh, Will stirs, and she looks away, not wanting to be caught staring at him. That is embarrassing. Um, she looks at the grave that they had dug for Tjallis and Salmachia, prying the flat gravestone up and setting it at the head of their graves, and then she shades her eyes, looking out at the ever-stretching plains
0: yeah, I love that the way it's intercut, you know they're, you know, they got a little crush for each other because it's starting to get these heated furative glances going on. And yeah. Lyra realizes she's thirsty. She doesn't realize she's that kind of thirsty, but she is. But she also realizes she's actually literally thirsty when she sees a pond nearby and she walks towards the gurgling spring, washing her hands of grime and mud and lifting water to her mouth. She wades in, standing with the sun on her body in the mud below, dipping her face in the water, wetting her hair. And once she's clean and appropriately watered, she sees that Will is awake, doing pretty much just what she had done marveling at the extent of the plains which also probably looking away (laughs) very much so looking away i love how biblical we're starting right uh, with bathing in the stream obviously there are adam and eve connotations throughout these chapters that we'll talk about but in biblical israel water was pretty scarce right so this would be a huge momentous event full of religious significance if we came by it You have the story of Ruth bathing and anointing herself with oil in preparation for a nighttime meeting where she intends to persuade Boaz to take her as a wife. Or King David, who fasts and prays for God to spare his son, who bathed and anointed himself when his son died, showing he's ready to finish his grieving and move on. And of course, Leviticus wrote that bathing was cleansing contamination or protecting God's sanctuary, your body, your temple. So, Opening here with this mourning chapter, as we discuss the possible double meaning of mourning, Uh, Will and Lyra have had to wake up and now they'll cleanse themselves to move on from their last battle.
1: Yeah, there's a sense of it that kind of feels as though they are baptizing themselves. Right. Mm. And um, I like that you brought up King David. I mean, he was famous for being among many other things. He's quite the renaissance man. Um, also a musician who played the lyre. Mm. <laughs> right? <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's right. I forgot about
0: that. He's so, quite the poet, Lyra. too.
1: Yeah, he uh, he wrote a lot of songs. Uh, so I guess we call them psalms, but whatever. They're songs. <laughs> anyway. So Lyra returns to find Will, cutting the gallivespians' names into their heads stones and setting it firmly in the soil and it's just a really beautiful and very noble and therefore not base just a very high usage of the subtle knife
0: yeah i love that because that set of rules always stuck out to me right like don't use it as a common instrument no buttering bread with it you know no uh cutting a steak with it foolish i mean Yes, foolish, but way easier.
1: I mean, well, I'm saying this. That's an in my opinion, that's not base. That's a stupid rule. Like, what if right. it's a
0: great? What if it's a great stake? Right. Uh, I also love that they're like, this wasn't in the rules of do or don't do, right? It's actually like there was no rule of use it to write something. So they're almost forging new rules with their instruments, right? Both Will and Lyra. Uh, especially after being given those base instructions. They kind of get to exist out of those loopholes with their own creativity, and they actually excel because of it, right? Like, I feel like they keep surviving this story on accidental loopholes.
1: They do, and I think Will speaks to that a little later on, too, those, like, little accidents that add up, but I just love this. It's just a very wonderful usage of the knife. Will asks Lyra Uh if their demons are near, and she can't quite tell, but she can still feel them. She asks if he remembers what had happened, and he does. He picked up Pan, and she picked up the other demon, and Will then put Pan down to cut a window. And then Will's demon just jumped out of Lyra's arms. Animals, they're like that, you know? But it doesn't feel like they're in the world of the dead anymore. And it doesn't feel like when they were separated from their demons, when they were in the world of the dead, their demons feel like they're near. Like when they were young and they used to play hide and seek. And Lyra says, it didn't really work though, because I always knew exactly where Pan was, even if he was camouflaged as a moth. So this time she doesn't feel torn apart. She feels safe and knows that Pan must feel the same too. And Will thinks that they must be together.
0: Mm, how sweet right it's you know there's this quote in a song of ice and fire that has such very different very different mood of what's about to happen And uh, one of my favorite characters sansa's story right where she steps into some snow and she thinks that it reminds her of innocence the taste of dreams and of hope and like just what a nice young hopeful feeling that they know where their demons are, and they feel safe, and even Will knows where his demon is, right? He's not worried. He's never had one to be worried about, I guess, but...
1: (laughs) Yeah, he he hasn't really known that worry until recently, or maybe he was worried. He was like, something hurts a lot, and that is worrisome. (laughs) It is... I am in pain... I'm like, he's way. always
0: in pain. He's been in pain for two thirds of this story, literally. That's true. He's, he's like been my... bleeding for like yeah. how many pages? So uh, he's like, I'm used to it, this horrible yeah. feeling inside of me. Get ready for more. Uh, they hear a sound, a low, persistent rumbling, and they see moving shadows, but the shadows disappear and the rumbling goes away. A movement starts again and it starts to get closer suddenly. Will's like, All right, I need water before I deal with all this. And he goes to wash up and get hydrated. Side note, is Will drinking Lyra's bathwater?
1: I'm like, how much does that cost online? Then I was like, Oh my god. La Belle Sauvage Delphine. Or is it like La Belle Delphine Sauvage? <laughs> that's that's uh, what I have for you. Belle oh my Delphine. Oh God, thank
0: you. <laughs> yes. Thank you. I thought that was. I really appreciated good. that. Thank
1: you. <laughs>
0: right. So the rumbling noise finally approaches, and with it come creatures on wheels. They climb the slope to have a look. A herd of beings come to them, on wheels, like a cross between antelopes, motorcycles, and elephants. Will takes out the knife, but Lyra's already working her alethiometer, which says, They're friendly, and they're looking for you guys. Not just that, but Dr. Malone is with them? Confused, Lyra says they should go to the creatures, that they won't hurt them. Some of the creatures pause to drink at the pond, but not passively, like a herd of cows. They're individuals. People. I like that we get this immediate understanding of that from Lyra, right? We've, we've already come to that understanding through Mary's plot, but Lyra, after what she's been through and her understanding of so many worlds and so many different peoples that live within them, she already knows just by looking at them that they are people.
1: It reminds me of what you've said, like, and calling that out of when we hear that demons look like a human to other people, right? Like it technically (laughs) might look like an animal. And you know, if, being unfamiliar with the malefa oh. they're saying that the malefa are also four-legged right like the other herds but they realize wait no this is a this is a people and demons are like that yeah that they tell. aren't
0: quite like animals like yeah. you can tell if it's a cat or a demon i've never thought of it that way and i really I like that Didn't until said that.
1: yeah wow shit together we can do this <laughs> form of a bucket of water yeah <laughs> So Lyra then moves to speak to the leader of the people while Will keeps his hand on his knife. And the leader tells her to, Come see Mary. You ride. We carry. <laughs> <laughs> that's Malepha, That's the best I can do right now. That's what I got. I love this detail um, where the Malayfa realize to communicate to Will and Lyra in our <laughs> our world's language. And it shows us how much... Like, Mary and the Malafa have really been to- able to exchange about each other's cultures.
0: hmm Yeah, they've learned a lot from each other. I love this passage, too, because it's so fun. That Lyra had ridden a bear, and Will had ridden a bicycle, but neither had ridden a horse, which was the closest comparison. However, riders of horses are usually in control, and the children soon found... They were not. The reins and stirrups were simply there to hold on to and balance with. The creatures themselves made all the decisions. Uh, it's not often that our children let their fate be up for grabs and trust other creatures, True. slash people, right? Like Yorick is very rare. Uh, and it's weird that it's described like this because as you say, like what Mary and the Mulefa have kind of yeah. learned from one another, Lyra and Yorick have also had that similar parallel relationship, right where, Yorick kind of learns a lot from Lyra, and learns a way back, even, from where he kind of went to.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I'm kind of surprised that Lyra's never ridden a horse, I don't know why. I just, like, assume people kind of needed horses in her world, I don't know. I feel like they they have
0: little buggies, like little uh, Ford buggies, it feels like, you know?
1: So or I, I, yeah, yeah,
0: Ambaric, amb- Ambaric buggies.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. It's just like for some reason I think of horses being more common there than it is and also like I it's good that the malefa are benevolent um you know people carrying the children because the way they describe this i'm like i live in the year 2022 smart cars are (laughs) on the horizon and this sounds like a dystopian like this could like in a different context be a dystopian like smart car (laughs) storyline so
0: yeah like if we were sci-fi we would just exploit the mulefa immediately like gomez is trying to do
1: That's also true. Oh, I was just thinking, like, if it weren't the malefa, right? Like, any other thing where they're like, yeah, they didn't have any control over where this (laughs) sentient thing they were taking them, right? Um, God,
0: Elon Muskville.
1: Oh my god, it actually, yeah, exactly, exactly. Literally. Literally. So they speed through the Malayfa-made roads, which are quite unlike the brutal, sharp roads in Will's world. And the wheels make too much noise for them to speak, so they point instead, in amazement at everything around them. The birds, the lizards, the sun, the air, the salt. It's beautiful to imagine, and I really appreciate once more the reinforcement of how the Malayfa and the world have coexisted and developed in a sustainable way. It's just nice
0: even the entire the the whole chapter with the lacquering of the spyglass and the rope and, and the braiding of the rope I just feel like the detail in it is so nice for this right to tell you how they've developed in that way
1: yeah yeah and had a balance right that they respect nature as opposed yeah. to exploiting it
0: yeah I mean as opposed to the magisterium as opposed to Asriel, even
1: as opposed to us.
0: Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, us too. I mean, I wasn't talking about us, okay? First of all, we're still in fiction, Aliana. This isn't real.
1: Will's, we're fucking Will's a hole part in the of this atmosphere fiction. another way. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, uh, authority. <laughs> they reach an
0: area where they're going the same pace as they would have if they were walking. So they're like, hey, can we get off and walk for a little bit? The Malefa are fine with that, and the children move along, happy to just walk along the hay-scented, grass-warm creatures. This is going to be insane on TV. Uh, everything is so alive in this chapter which is so opposite of the land of the dead and the abyss right so just imagining how this would even be adapted for TV is like what episode 6 and 7 is going to be in pure utter terror and darkness right (laughs) apocalyptic crap in the afterlife and then you're going to come back here where it's like a happy prairie glowing in the sun what a contrast
1: yeah it's going to be like quite a whiplash they're going to go between so many different worlds this um, entire book
0: out. is whiplash. Exactly. Fuck. It is.
1: It really is, though. Um, it's a lot God. of whiplash in those last few chapters.
0: Whew. Your move, multiverse of madness. <laughs> <laughs> the children observe how the Mulefa move, and as they come to the top of the rise, the leader says, Merry close. Merry there. They look down at the blue gleam of sea on the horizon and see the home of the Mulefa. Trees, vegetation, thatched houses, crops... They climb back on, and the mulefa make sure they're safe before riding it at a thunderous speed, the air whipping past Lyra and Will's face, joyfully laughing. They're delivered to the center of the village, where Mary Malone emerges from a hut. She kisses Lyra warmly and then welcomes Will. And then came a curious mental dance of sympathy and awkwardness, which took place in a second or less. Moved by compassion for the state they were in, Mary first meant to embrace him, as well as Lyra. But Mary was grown up, and Will was nearly grown. She could see that that kind of response would have made a child of him, because while she might have embraced a child, she would never have done that to a man she didn't know. So she drew back mentally, wanting above all to honor this friend of Lyra's and not cause him to lose face.
1: So instead, she gives him a very, like, adult handshake, which kind of sounds awkward in its own way. But for some reason, this works. It's an understanding of respect that passes between them. And then we have this line of, each of them felt they made a lifelong friend, as indeed they had. And I just thought that was an interesting line. A couple of times throughout these books, we see that the text breaks from the present, like, narration. Um, And gives us a glance into the future. One of the ones that I, like this one is, I think, a little more oblique and subtle. But one that I think where it's very obvious and stands out is I believe it's in book one where Lyra, you know, we learn the text tells us that Lyra will become the person or one of the people who knows the most about dust of anyone everywhere. Mm -hmm. So this is, I think, one of those as well.
0: And I think there's another fourth wall break. I want to say with it's like lee or maybe with joppery one of the two but there's Mm. another one with them i want to say about and it might be joppery it might be his fate like something about how he knew his fate or whatever uh i I really like those and i like i'm a sucker for it when authors pepper them toward the end (laughs) of like their series you know what i mean dust them on in because because it does give you something especially if you're ending the series in a way i mean obviously we have sequels which is great which is really fun. We are having fun. They're fun sequels, but...
1: We didn't know we were going to get those sequels. They came, like... Exactly. I didn't know I was going to get those. They came, like, I don't know, 17 years or a little less, 15 years or something, like, after you were, this yeah. book.
0: Which, that's great, though. Like, that's... You didn't know you had that, though. So it gives you a little hope towards, like, careful, you know... what you wish for, it. yeah. Clo- <laughs> uh, it gives you closure. A little bit of extra closure, right? A little bit also of him reassuring the reader like you're gonna be okay you could be okay without this series you're gonna move on after I Philip Pullman ruin your life with this book you're gonna move on from it eventually someday the wounds within you will heal he says out of the meta back in universe in the story we're talking about I do want to say that I love the respect she's giving Will because yes it's so awkward and it sounds like it was an awkward moment very much so however That is, like, exactly that feeling that Mm -hmm. a child was growing up to be a man here, like a young man. That's That awkwardness is what they demand, though. That's the respect he wants, right? Uh, And I think it's very important in asserting yourself in puberty, like, when you're growing, to not be smooshed by some older woman, even if she's, like, in her 30s, right? We know that's old to someone who's 15. Um, (laughs) You know, now I'm 30, and I'm like, bro... 80 is so old.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: But I'm like 60's young. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It, it changes as you grow. And she could see he's been through a lot. She already knows he's been through a lot just from talking to Lyra a little. And he's becoming a man and giving him room to grow is great. You can't smoosh a beautiful flower in a corner with a bunch <laughs> of other flowers and old flowers and think they're going to grow. Right. Uh, an older woman don't always give that space to young boys. Like, think of aunties, right? Your auntie yeah. just smooching on a boy. He's trying to find his own and to be his own man after everything he's lost, like his father, and this connection with his mother that probably will never be the same for him again. How do you do that? Mary's no auntie. She's good. She knows that people need room to grow, space to grow.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And as you said, right, it it might be awkward, but that's what growing up is. Growing up is awkward.
0: Yeah. But that's for sure. Shit.
1: But Mary's fantastic at this whole, like, respect thing. And it's her giving Will that space to grow and become a young man. Uh, you, we, you've spoken before about the contrast between Mary and Mrs. Coulter. I mean, Mrs. Coulter, in many ways, did not allow children to grow. She kind of smothered Lyra, right? Like, didn't really give Lyra the space to grow and or anything. She was like, I'm going to just keep her in this little box. And also, she, yeah, killed- she
0: drugged her. Yeah,
1: and she also killed a bunch of kids, or tried to sever a lot of them, right? Um, which would have prevented yeah. them from growing as well. Whereas, again, you can trust contrast that with Mary here. Nothing says I'm not letting you grow up quite like murder, um.
0: <laughs> or quite like keeping you drugged asleep in a cave, yeah. saying that you can never leave. Yeah, nothing <laughs> says don't
1: grow up quite like that.
0: Oh, uh, which is like. The saddest, right? Because her intentions are—I mean, it's not her fault, right? Ooh, woo. leave her alone, Ooh, poor woo. baby, meow meow. I love her. Um, <laughs> leave Marisa alone. She just loved her daughter and has no clue how to love. I never learned how to love either, Marisa. Oh my God, you uh, love you love yeah. your
1: children. Fun.
0: That's fine you. Let them I live. Drugged any of them? You, you at let least not Allie and
1: Jake live. <laughs>
0: So, Which is a shock, really, because every day they test my patience.
1: You know, speaking of people and their parents and growing up, Lyra has introduced Will already to Cowboy Dad, to Bear Dad, and he's introduced her to Real Ghost Dad. Um, I guess she only introduced him to Ghost Cowboy Dad. Now she's going to introduce him to Surrogate Mom. I guess he also met her biological mother, too. But Mommy here's her Harry. other, like better mom this is her
0: second mom this is her her second mom
1: the mom she chose um so everyone's like you know it's real dating so lyra introduces will and mary to one another and will and mary says that they look half starved uh probably because they haven't eaten in a long ass time they just like hiked up like a whole ass mountain in the land of the dead and didn't eat a meal or a snack before going in which is probably (laughs) the right call to be honest but anyway Some of the malefa bring them cushions, as well as bringing wooden bowls with what seemed like milk. But it had like this oddly refreshing lemon astringency. And then they bring them small nuts, like hazelnuts, but richer and more buttery. As well as this fresh salad from the soil... We have this line because this is also a food podcast of sharp peppery leaves mingled with soft thick ones that oozed a creamy sap and little cherry sized roots like sweet carrots as well as a slightly scorched flowery bread. And I appreciate that the text for the second time tells us that this bread is kind of like chapati or tortillas in case you were wondering what to envision.
0: I even love that we have kind of a return to some of these flavors from the first book, right? Uh, Like the hazelnut. Oh,
1: yeah. Having the hazelnut
0: reminds me of the seal blubber in the first book. Yeah. In fact, even just mirroring them at the Arctic Institute, having that fancy lunch versus here with the mulefa, having something grown, uh, I don't know, so homegrown, right? Something they created, like you were saying, sustainable living and having it be just as delicious and filling, right, um... And and there's something about that peppery tang, the, the lemon, the acidity, and the sweetness, right, going on. There's like a little bit of sweetness in the carrots and in the hazelnuts. Um, it's kind of metaphorical, right, the bittersweet that's going on here. Because we're about to have some, some bittersweet throughout the story, I think. Yeah. And I was thinking again, arugula for the sharp peppery. leaves. Oh, yes. That sounds delicious, actually. I would like some arugula, like right now. Uh, The sharpness I could see too, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know. It's too rich for them to eat all of, right? A little bit is quite enough. So there's even something reminiscent of like the elves in Lord of the Rings with their food being more filling, right? The Mm. leavened bread uh, and how just a little bit is more filling. And there's almost something culturally, right? Uh, With the Mulafa living in this peaceful society, right? uh sustainably living there, creating their own food, upkeeping that, and their food being more filling than like a regurgitated chemical piece of shit that, you know, like craft singles processed for just this gorgeous salad that just grew in the ground for them. Uh that they worked hard and that is somehow more filling than any other food. That feels metaphorical.
1: Yeah. And that they don't over farm things, right? Like Mary later on is gonna be gathering these, like, kind of muscles for the malefa and shows that they're not, like, over-farming them, right? Like, it's there to be part of the landscape, keep, like, upkeep the ocean and all those things likely, and it's it's just really shown that this is, like, this land of plenty. You care for the land. You care for each other, right? Because this, this feast is likely, it seems like something maybe they do together as a community, and people come together together, with their different parts to create this meal mm-hmm. and it takes a village, you know, and, and it's like this land of Providence and the children don't have to worry about what to eat.
0: Yeah. And, and that is true. Like that's the biggest part right there that you don't think about that when you're a kid, you don't think about where any of it comes from, but that's the goal. Well, ideally. Right? The, ideally, but, but that's like the goal. Like, that you create a society where you can have your children fed and you're not worrying about it. I mean, if you're listening to our other podcast, our Song of Ice and Fire podcast, you might hear me and Eliana talk about sometimes things we're watching and me and my husband are very slow watching The Walking Dead. I think I've mentioned it over there lately with some zombie stuff during our Sam chapters. So uh, that's one of the biggest things, right, is like, sustainable living where can we go that we can protect our people from zombies and grow our own food right since there is no longer any food create our own resources and live sustainably and everybody pitch in and do their own job uh and societally i think that's something that we strive for in our society too against the chains of humanity and capitalism
1: yeah and and how do we keep our children fed how do we keep i mean and you think about that will will hasn't really experienced that much right like even from the mm-hmm. start of when we meet him this is i think the first time i mean i guess the witches helped care for them right and and fed them and mm-hmm. so forth but otherwise like this time with the malefa is the first time he gets to i think experience being cared for in that way, because even when he was in his own world, mm. he was the one caring for, and he's the one who had to manage the food and feeding for his himself and his mother.
0: And for him and Lyra, shit. Yeah, exactly,
1: because that girl does not know how to cook.
0: No, she knows how to nap and eat hot chip.
1: <laughs> yeah. Hot girl shit, you know? <laughs> um,
0: uh, hot savior shit.
1: Yeah, you know, Hot chip, hot talkies, what is it hot cheetos and takis there we go mm. so Mary that's not sustainable everyone <laughs> neither hot <laughs> cheetos nor takis are sustainable that's
0: processed well, that, like we were talking about <laughs> yeah. processed food that
1: is processed that is bad for you craft singles <laughs> craft singles um, so Mary manages to avoid asking too many questions she realizes the children are not ready to talk quite obviously. So she instead answers their questions about how did she get here? Who the Malafa are? And finally she lets them take a nap because they both really need a nap and that's how we move the story forward. Meanwhile, Atal asks Mary some questions about Will and Lyra like how is Mary able to tell like and discern to Atal that they are of two sexes and Mary explains that they have different shapes of body and move differently, but that they have less schroff, and she doesn't know when it will come to them, right? And this is something that I imagine like Philip Pullman might write about like just a little bit differently or more nuanced nowadays, but I also understand like the caveat of, you know, he's trying to talk about these like biological contrasts, especially when we have focused so much on the evolution, I guess, of the world of the Malefa.
0: I do think that he kind of boxed himself in in a few ways by having this tied so heavily to binary gender, too, right? Yeah. Like, oh, it's the opposite. And if it's not, you know, if it's the same, they might be gay. Uh, That's as far as he got. So I think today, I mean, the 90s, I don't expect it to be much more advanced. I I don't.
1: He's grown a lot even, like, in the past few years, right? Publicly. We've watched that growth. Yeah. Um, I've
0: been very proud of my grandfather.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I think that's been really great. And I, I just want to give him every now and then. People yeah. deserve credit <laughs> for
0: growth. Yeah, he deserves some kudos on that. And I yeah. do think he would probably write a little differently about it and not box him in. Yeah, You know, into that exact kind of corner, because it is a little bit of a corner. But at that same exact token, I I do appreciate it being explained, you know, base fundamentals to a Tal, because a Tal wouldn't necessarily understand why and how, and that's something that I think um, is very human to think about. It's not something that a Tal personally might think about all the time.
1: Yeah. And even just
0: like... These weirdos with their flesh bags. How do they... How do you tell? (laughs)
1: Like a scientific, I guess interest, right? Mm-hmm. That's human.
0: Atal's like, our girl, Mulefa can swing their trunk up and down at the same time as tapping their belly.
1: Yeah. yeah. She's <laughs> like, I don't know. I got friends, I guess.
0: <laughs> it's just a vibe you get as a Mulefa. It's just vibes.
1: Yeah, it's not really explained interestingly for the Muleifa. Um Atal doesn't know when shroff, the whole Schroff thing happens to humans because they don't have wheels, so it's like a lot less obvious when puberty happens to them. Also, some of the worlds, you know, don't have demons, so they continue weeding the garden together. And Natal goes on, surprised that Mary knew that they were coming. And Natal asks if it was the Yijing, but Mary and Bear says no, it was a night picture, a dream, and she had seen them in her dreams so clearly. And a voice said, "Prepare for them." And then. <laughs> Get ready. Coming like the Dwight and Angela yeah. The Office meme.
0: What the fuck? Coming soon uh, to a theater uh, near you. To a chapter near you. Yeah, Atal asks, well, wait, how did the voice speak if you couldn't see it? Unable to imagine that without the trunk movements. And Mary's like, I did see it, though. A woman, a female wise one. Very old, but not old at all at the same time.
1: Yeah, so we're going to see this person, like, in a second. They're just one of the ghosts, so... Uh, but it does remind me of the witches a little bit, that description, right? Of Ooh, a female wise old one. Not. Old but not old. Me. Yes. Old but not old. Okay. <laughs> My God.
0: Uh, Atal asks if the children would be able to stop the sraff from leaving. Mary knows without looking at the spyglass that the shadow particles are streaming away faster than ever. Ooh, just that feeling that you could, like, without even looking yourself, you could feel the shadow particles leaving and running and how it Kind of just ignites your veins for what's to come here in these chapters and the adventure still ahead. Uh, at early evening, a group of stranger other Mulefa arrive, new Mulefa. Will and Lyra are sleeping as usual because, you know, this is their second nap in this chapter. And then they wake up. The new Mulefa have found something. Mary must go with them to investigate, and she promises to return. Atal will watch with the children. Mary goes off, riding on the leader of the other group, alarmed a little bit by the speed, having never ridden in the dark before, but amazed at the beauty of the world. She can't pull out her spyglass yet, but she's ready to use it. They lead her toward a gully, to an opening similar to the ones made by the subtle knife. From the opening comes a procession of ghosts. Mary's shocked and catches herself, watching the ghosts walk in the moonlight, then vanish. Their faces are full of joy and their arms outstretched. They held out their arms as if they were embracing the whole universe. And then, as if they were made of mist or smoke, they simply drifted away, becoming part of the earth and the dew and the night breeze. Returning to the earth, right? We're seeing it in action. This is, this is the workflow. The workflow of the ghosts. They finally are returning to nature.
1: Indeed. And I like that call out of the dew and the mist because i'm like it's happening it's happening the little boy lost in the vapor but instead of it being Mm. sad it's happy and with all this talk of sustainability and the way the mulefa
0: live like seeing this process happen like it's supposed to be and them kind of going to become the atmosphere and become part of the world they live in and maybe uh, again there's that little mermaid uh the actual original little mermaid that she like she decides to kill herself and become seafoam and do good deeds for a thousand whatever years to earn a soul. And that's kind of what it feels like, right? Like, yeah. this is the alternative. They're now seafoam on the breeze, earning a soul, earning their afterlife instead of being stuck forever in that horrible land.
1: Yeah, but the little mermaid didn't deserve all that. She did nothing wrong.
0: No, she did absolutely nothing wrong. Maybe she came on a little strong, but, you know, he should have been more vocal.
1: Yeah, yeah. Everyone. He led her on. Everyone should have communicated better, and I guess she didn't have a voice, and that made it hard. But you know what?
0: <laughs> it's a two-way street. Eric. She did nothing wrong. Eric.
1: <laughs> <laughs> So, some of the dead seem to be coming towards Mary to tell her something, and their touch is cold. I don't know how she's not freaked out. Like I'd be <laughs> like, "What the fuck? Absolutely not! Get the fuck away from me!" <laughs> well, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, And finally one ghost, an old woman. She makes it, right? She motions to Mary to come close, then tells her. Tell them stories. They need the truth.
0: You must tell them true stories. Everything will be well. Just tell them stories. Then she vanishes, too. We have a great line in the text that basically likens the experience to recalling a dream you've forgotten, or re-experiencing that emotion, she realizes it was what she tried to tell a Atal, but as she tries to grasp it again, she loses it once more and she remembers only to tell them stories as she watches the ghosts pour out.
1: <laughs> Horrifying. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's actually a really lovely sentiment, though, and I love the reiteration of tell them stories throughout the rest of this novel. And I've, I've actually heard of people getting this exact line, tell them stories tattooed on themselves, and I love that. Um, and I think Phil is Philip, Mister Pullman. I don't know how intimate we are. Has really done a great job of how he's woven that idea through the entire book series, right? Because from the start, we've seen Lyra telling a bunch of stories. A lot of them were untrue. They were not true stories. They were lies, literally. And I mean, telling fiction isn't bad, right? Like this is fiction, literally. Like I, this is not a, this is not a biography. Mm-hmm or a documentary, as much as I like telling people things are documentaries, this is not. But there's an importance to, I think, that story, that fiction having a truth to it. Something that like can echo in people and that people really feel and that you can take with you at the end of a story. This will happen yeah. of those, we promise, even though it's going to destroy you.
0: Oh my god. If you haven't finished it already and you're listening, you're so brave. <laughs> you're the bravest person I know
1: because
0: it is beautiful it is a great great story that we're finishing in the next couple months and uh, tell them stories makes me so fucking emotional I just think it's so perfect to to bring it especially when like you said Lyra has told lies and fictional little stories but that's what actually but look at the harpy look at her telling her a story but I mean that's been such a very strong thread and we'll talk more about it as we get through marzipan and there it is now but first, we'll head to chapter 33, Marzipan, which opens actually with a poem from George Herbert. Sweet spring, full of sweet days and roses, a box where sweets compacted lie.
1: You know, I don't feel that way about springtime. I get allergies. Um, But roses, huh? Roses. Hmm. I mean, this congestion is mean? not allergies. This is illness. But yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is from Virtue by George Herbert. And... The, it's about basically the importance of nourishing virtue in a person's soul. In the first few stanzas, the first three, we, we kind of learn that everything's going to die in the end. But then in the very last stanza, he contradicts himself and he says, a virtuous soul can live even if everything dies. So very much the bittersweet tone that the entire last five to 10 chapters of this book take encompassed a poem. and. I think it's perfect, right? It's it's about fleeting life and unavoidable death of mortal creatures to eternal life of a virtuous soul and what living really means, right? Having lived and living, what that means. The ghosts crossing over into the night sky in mourning, right? And Mary watching them go. And of course, not to cross this line, but <laughs> virtue is often equated with virginity, right? Virtue of person, sweetness, innocence, innocence loss. So really strong poem. Uh, i'm sure that he read that one for inspiration throughout the end here
1: yeah he probably did well we start out with more dreams it's a dream of spring if you will lyra waking from a dream where pan has settled and she loved his shape but what was it speaking of dreams you can't remember
0: (laughs) I have no fucking clue what mine is, Lyra, and we're getting really close. We are getting close to game time. This is getting dangerous. No clue. No clue. All of our patrons that are running our rewatch for the show right now over at Discord, they are settling. They are showing us their settled demons each time they present with the idea that when we finish this book, we will present ours. What if mine doesn't settle in time?
1: Well... Oh well, <laughs> you know, you'll have time. You know, and we're just we're just so young at heart. That's why oh ours God. haven't settled yet. We are both old women who are not old. <laughs> uh, wise one. <laughs> wise. I don't know that anyone would describe me as such.
0: No comment. <laughs> Lyra listens to the sounds around her and enjoys the morning, and then she realizes, oh, shit, I'm naked. And she starts to get mad for a second, and then she sees clean clothes loaned by Mary, so they fit pretty loosely.
1: I get it now upon rereading this. It didn't stand out until, like, I don't know, a couple of times reading this. Um, so throughout the series, we've obviously seen Lyra becoming more and more conscious of her body, right? In a second like in a few lines from now where she's about to be worried about Will being there if she's going to bathe and like that it's different now she can't really bathe in front of him and the closest that we've had to this moment was when Lyra was bathing back at the end of book one and Roger was just sitting outside the door talking at her you know kind of through it and before then a call out of Mrs. Coulter right having Pan turn away which kind of in a way first of all they were like that's kind of weird I guess like There's an assertion that Panza, like, another gender, right? But, like, it also, in a way, shows this lack of self-consciousness about Lyra's body, right? As that's her own soul. And that's when we start getting our attention drawn to, like, this aspect of puberty. And, I mean, bodies are a part of that, right? Like, bodies change during puberty. I think we kind of all know that. And it's weird. like a
0: painful self-awareness that begins yeah
1: it's a self and it doesn't weird. end <laughs> it does it doesn't end it's weird and you start realizing that your body that other you become conscious of your body and you become conscious of the fact that therefore other people are conscious of your body right and and there's, you think yeah and then there are sexual aspects to that right like I think a great show that covers that and that really weird age and in which the characters are technically Lyra and Will's age in these books is Pen15. Love that show. Um, But I think it does a great job of navigating like, hey, yeah, this is a young age, but sexuality starts like, Becoming something you think about. And we'll see that desire and curiosity become more of a focus in the next few chapters. It stands out for Lyra, you know, for the first time, I think throughout this series, right? She suddenly is like, oh, wait, no, this does matter, I guess, huh? Like, I kind of thought it mattered before, but oh my god, I feel different about it. Like, she realizes for the first time, like, she's just like, she is naked. And, I mean, she hasn't really been, like, surprised naked in a while, or, like, that change of clothing that is kind of disturbing. But she has a very visceral reaction to it. She feels mad and, like, worried about it for a second. And it becomes this moment that is like Adam and Eve biting into the fruit of knowledge in the Garden of Eden. And here's the line from Lyra's World's Book of Genesis. After, you know, they see their demons suddenly settle after biting into the fruit. And it says, and they saw the difference and they knew good and evil and they were shamed and they sewed fig leaves together to cover their nakedness. And it's kind of similar to like the lines are practically the same in our book of Genesis for that specific moment. But then it continues on to, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid and he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the answer is yes. We all know that. The answer is yes. Okay. And Mary, it it, it makes sense here, right? You have Mary um, who is playing the serpent and she speaks of desire later. And it's also she who loans her own clothing so that Lyra may cover her nakedness as she comes to this knowledge.
0: Oh. Oh, I love that because this entire chapter is literally every part of it is supposed to evoke that.
1: I it's mean, the garden. They're in the garden.
0: They're literally in the Garden of Eden right now, <laughs> where everything is perfect. And there's great salad.
1: <laughs> there's salad. There's tortillas. Oh. There's shellfish.
0: <laughs> no, don't be shellfish, Eliana. <laughs> I love that you've brought it around to their version, right, of that passage, because that, stud, that stood out to me so much with the demon replaced in there. Uh, and it's come full circle here.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: Lyra feels Pan nearby. She can almost hear him. She hopes and thinks that when he forgave her and came back, the hours they'd spent just talking, just telling each other everything... <laughs> Come back, Pam. I'm in pain. This is painful to me for no reason. Pan pain. Will... <laughs> pan pain. Oh, pan pain for my real friends, and real pain for my pan friends. <laughs> what? Instead of champagne. Oh. Uh, Will is still sleeping, and Lyra's like, he's lazy, which that's unfair, Lyra. He's very tired. <laughs> she wants to wake him, but she decides to go alone to the river to swim naked, and she blushes to think of doing it with Will around. There's a bird that's kind of like a heron there. She finds the river water really strange because for some reason it's salty. It's seawater and she's never swam in seawater before. She thinks usually Pan dries her off and then she goes over possibilities for what he might settle as and she's like what if, what if Pan isn't thinking about me? Eventually Whoa. she dry, she leaves, she dries herself, she redresses. Someone has replaced her and Will's clothes. They're nice and clean. Will wakes and Lyra assures him they are safe and he copies her idea of swimming, he goes to take a bath. Lyra wanders around the village, trying to be polite, admiring the subtle patterns in the wood growing into a certain shape. As she walks, she admires the order of the village, reminded of her lithiometer's patterns as well, and the different meanings. She kind of takes joy in thinking about, well, thinking about patterns in her lithiometer and about the place they're in, and then she starts to wonder how long they'd be safe here.
1: So there's definitely something there about this whole thinking and, like, pondering thing and that being important. We'll get there, whatever. But I just want to say, these poor kids, these poor fucking kids, they're always wondering and worrying about when they can finally be safe and happy. And now we have here, as you said, right, a place. Seems peaceful. But these poor fucking kids. (laughs) Yeah. So Will eventually returns, and so does Atal, and they see the village come to life as they eat breakfast. And Mary addresses them, saying that they should share what's transpired for all of these parties involved and that they can make nets while they do since it's probably going to take a while so something to do and mary teaches them to make nets being wary about where they go so as to not run into the tualopi and lyra tells everything from the retired room there's still no sign of the tualopi so mary takes them to the fishing post where it's safe and when the tide is out as the tulapi only come at high tide, and they walk along a hard path of mud, maintained and in tune with nature. And then I've put in a bunch of really long quotes, because I was like, these are good. (laughs) This is good writing.
0: Will asks if they made the stone roads themselves, and Mary says no. They made them. The roads made the mulefa. They'd never have developed the use of the wheels if there hadn't been hard, flat surfaces to use them on. She thinks they're lava flows from ancient volcanoes. She says, So the roads made it possible for them to use the wheels, and other things came together as well, like wheeled trees and the way their bodies are formed. They're not vertebrae, they don't have a spine. Some lucky chance in our worlds, long ago, must have meant the creatures with the backbones had it a bit easier, so all kinds of other shapes developed and based on central spine. In this world, chance went another way. The diamond frame was successful. There are vertebrae, to be sure, but not many. There are snakes, for example. Snakes are important here. People look after them and try not to hurt them. Anyway, she says their shape and the roads and the wheel trees coming together all made it possible. A lot of little chances all coming together. Amazing. And I do have to say, I love that she says snakes are important here. Yeah, that's for sure. You sure are, Mary. Very interesting. Oh, that's right.
1: Because it was revered because the snake was was uh going through the little wheel hole and was like, Why don't you put your hand in?
0: Yeah, that was a a foreshadowing for our Mary yeah. Snake
1: Malone. Right
0: there. <laughs> She's the snake in and out of the wheel pod.
1: She should get a snake tattoo. Yeah. She's like the what is it what are they called again in fucking Riverdale? Oh <laughs> the, my God, the South Side Snake. Yeah, the South Side Serpents. Serpents, <laughs> yeah. there you go.
0: I'm more of a silver serpent person, you know, from um what should we call it? Legends of the um, Hidden Temple. Yes, thank you. From Legends of the Hidden Temple. <laughs> uh, thank you, thank you.
1: Yep, yep.
0: You know, I love some of the talk here because it's just some of the way that Pullman has laid this out and talking about these little chances. Uh, our first roads were actually spontaneously formed, right? By humans hmm. walking the same paths over and over to get water and find food. So as small groups of people combine into villages, towns, and cities walking paths became more formal roads. We actually have the earliest stone-paved roads traced to about 4,000 BC in, well, Mesopotamia, now known as Iraq. Hmm. The Romans kind of continued to create them, making the very first superhighway because they needed to get their armies out faster, but our first roads were kind of like cells becoming complex organisms.
1: That's very cool. I like that. I, I, I do think of, like cities sometimes as like cells as an organism
0: one of my favorite anyway. bands has a song and i won't go into it but they have a song where they like talk about cities being you know little tanks of people and people being hmm. the oxygen cells and you know cars being traveling through the airway to get the oxygen yeah. cells places it's very interesting to think of everything as one big functioning unit
1: yeah nk Jemison's uh the city we became is kind of about this. Um, hmm. It's fun. It's fun. It's cute. Uh, I will say, regarding the Roman roads, this is just on the slide, uh, I believe they were just, like, super good, right? Like, they were. They have this concrete and we, like, don't even have the recipe for that anymore, but it was just, like, real good.
0: Yeah, yeah. They were supposed to be really intense. Yeah. Lost, you know, like most things. Yeah. Over
1: to time. Mary then asks for Will's story, and he starts off with Lots of little chances for me, too, he began, thinking of the cat under the hornbeam trees. (laughs) Yeah, I I like that idea of all the little chances. It's what makes it feel almost like fate.
0: I mean, that is like, that's what makes us so ridiculously human, right? That we take those little things as signs or that we like, I mean, how many times have you loved something or someone and had some little memory spark that felt like fate that led you to them right whether it was fate whether it was you whether it was the world aligning at that same time I don't know it's kind of nice it's kind of nice these little little moments these little chances all come together
1: and and I mean to really like show that right? You know the timing; it's just a bit off in this. Or Will is also thinking of it: if the timing had been just a bit off, that he would have never found the window or Chitagase or Lyra. And then he tells his story, um, up until the part where the witch kills his father—quite the cliffhanger. And then Lyra, <laughs> Lyra's yeah. like, "Yeah, witches are fierce." And Will's like, "I don't know if that was like love, though." And then Mary says, "Love is ferocious too." um we all know i have qualms with like that scene but yeah
0: and then will kind of will kind of fights back about it right because he explains john loved elaine and was never unfaithful
1: and i'm just telling you this is how john perry became a wizard um just like in that one famous anime meme
0: (sighs) (laughs) that is how it works to become a wizard that's how it works yo do you want to get sad are you ready for this line it's so sad you guys Lyra, looking at Will, thought that if he fell in love, he would be like that—ferocious, never unfaithful. Oh wow! Ooh,
1: ooh, ooh, woo ooh. <laughs> ooh. Uh,
0: You know, and, and Eliana, again, you have not gotten through Doctor Who. We've we've already bashed Dr. you for Who it, Lou. shamed you for it, <laughs> Doctor Who, woo. Uh, we we've already bashed you for it enough, yeah. but I just it's have so... to tell you. That the next part, they're on a beach during this scene, right? And beaches are never good if you've watched Doctor Who, I'm telling you. Beaches Nature are surrounds awesome. them. They are to an extent. Nature surrounds them, the beach clear and beautiful, and the text pontificates about ecosystems once more. Mary scans for tulapi danger for the dualipa and then shows them how to find a mollusk. They're hard for the Mulefa to gather, so she gathers as many as she can while she's there to provide a special feast. And then she shares part of her story.
1: So I kind of wonder, are the mollusks here, earlier I said they were mussels, they're just general mollusks. Are they meant to be like oysters, right? Are they supposed to be like the aphrodisiacs? I don't know. Uh, That kind
0: of makes sense, though, if they're supposed to be semi-aphrodisiacs, because everything about this is kind of aphrodisiac.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Also, I just like oysters. Um,
0: love it oyster.
1: I-, I just hope it for them, you know. <laughs> so the stories uh, yes. take too long, and it leaves no time for them to get to the discussion about the underworld yet, even Mary's gotta wait for the next chapter. Will explains that he does know about demons and ghosts, and Mary is interested in the uh she says three part nature of human beings. You know, she talks about like the church, the Catholic church that I used to belong to, wouldn't use the word demon, but St. Paul talks about spirit and soul and body. So the idea of three parts in human nature isn't so strange. And Will's like, but the best part is the body. That's what Baruch and Balthamos told me. Angels wish they had bodies. They told me that angels can't understand why we don't enjoy the world more. It would be sort of ecstasy for them to have our flesh and our senses in the world of the dead. And Lyra's like, hold on, hold on, spoilers, cliffhangers, all right? (laughs) She smiles at him. And then we have this beautiful line of a smile of such sweet knowledge and joy that his senses felt confused he smiled back and Mary thought his expression showed more perfect trust than she'd ever seen on a human face and I just put that in for that passage to hurt you um the other parts I don't
0: know Mary doesn't get out much as we've learned
1: I guess I guess (laughs) I mean I also put it there to hurt everyone let's be real okay well that's fine that's fine um all that part about the body though and whatever the three parts i feel like you and i've kind of covered this already like 20 times throughout the course of this podcast so
0: yeah the daddy the son the holy spirit amen
1: (laughs) all that and like these parts right like soul spirit things divided and i just like i don't have anything new to say that i didn't say in previous monologues
0: (laughs) absolutely not absolutely not me either Yes. When they're back at the village, they prepare the feast. Mary lets the kids stay and hang out at the riverbank to watch the tide return. and Atal is super excited about shellfish night, which me too. I Same. love that she actually puts that extra work in right to make sure they have a special night uh-huh. like that that makes it that much more important and again shows that hard work that like this isn't something normal or sustainable, but to have something special, you have to work hard to have something sweet and special, you know it's not always easy.
1: Can't always be $1 oyster happy hour.
0: Yeah, not always buck a shock, you guys. (laughs) You can't
1: just walk 10 minutes down the
0: road, go and have a shooter with your girlfriend, okay? That's (laughs) how it works here in Atal's world. No. But Mary has some bad news. Sure, this dinner's going to be nice and sweet. It's just going to have to make up for the graver news that the Tualapi have been destroying villages up the coast. And it's unusual. Usually they only destroy one village and retreat, but it's been several villages. She takes a look at dust through her amber spyglass, which is moving even more swiftly. She feels some responsibility suddenly, and she remembers, tell them stories. The only thing she can think to solve it all. So after dinner, Mary continues her part of her story. Starting with just before she met Lyra, when she was researching dark matter and the funding crisis.
1: I love that lack of funding is such a big part of the plots for both of the worlds uh, in the Scholarship. Story. It spurs, <laughs> right, it spurs Asriel and Mary. Um, I, I still love the joke around the time that I think series one aired. People were like, you know, it's a fantasy show because Asriel got that funding way too easily. So,
0: <laughs> Yeah
1: mary explains how she programmed the computer to let her talk to dust and then she did anything this stranger told her to do over the internet and (laughs) will points out that mary as a scientist may not have believed in angels but mary's like i was a nun she thought science could serve god at one point until she lost faith and decided Um, as the book says, physics is more interesting anyway. And then we get into what was probably the part that, like, made a lot of people angry at Philip Pullman specifically and got him a lot of criticism. And he has a line of, the Christian religion is a very powerful and convincing mistake. That's all. Oop, there it is.
0: Oop, there it is. Uh, yeah, that is probably... I think that's weird, kind of- the
1: one yeah. yeah everything else he could have kind of skirted around but once he got to that part plus the killing god together is was, was just like what the no, fuck no
0: no no this book is about those other guys with the <sighs> bad organized religion gosh don't don't get upset mr pope um I, I actually really love it though because i'm an intellectual and i am not beholden to the rules of of you know religious men's So, I don't know, I I find it interesting that Mary thought science could possibly even serve God for a bit, right? She talks about the bargaining stage of religion, that she was like, what if I could have science and Jesus? And that's actually the opposite of what the Magisterium was doing, right? Like, that's, the Magisterium had the same thought, what about science and God to end Asriel? Scientific atheists have believed in multiverses for ages, right? Right? So I don't know. His Dark Materials kind of gives you that in between is that's like, what if all of it's real, but we're missing the point, you guys?
1: Yeah, I, you know, just like I agree, I agree with everything you said. Um, though there's the part where she's like, yeah, I thought science could serve God, but and as you pointed out, the Magisterium puts forth one way, and I'm like, she could have still like done science and served God and not been celibate. That was an option um that's true
0: well that's like the thing right is like you can live by this horrid set of rule book right this this old rule book some people wrote and it got telephoned around and it got copied down several times yeah and through history it got changed and it just became a book of fables you can live by this weird book of fables that you know whatever or you could just live your life a good person love fully and then get judged eventually if it's real or not you know like Living in fear of – it's like preventative care, right? It's like how you're supposed to go to the doctor and get all this preventative care and that's free on your insurance, but when you're actually sick, they're like, nah, give me $8 million. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's literally yeah. what
0: life is. It's that's, like, well – That's
1: literally, yeah.
0: You know, these 10 rules from this Bible here are telling me that if I do all this, which, I mean, those are good rules. The golden rules are like, they're right. You know, like you shouldn't don't, yeah, don't your kill the BFFs people. person. You know, yeah. you shouldn't yeah. kill people. You know, don't fucking covet your neighbor. Don't covet your neighbor's fucking partner. Don't steal. Be nice to people. Whatever. Treat old people nicely and, like, you know, smile at babies or something. You can make faces as long as it's fun. I don't know. As long as it makes the baby smile. Yeah. But then it's just, like, all of this complicated stuff, like, cut your kid in half and send it down the river and strike women with stones and... (laughs) like yeah. how could you know maybe we read between the lines on some of this maybe it's just fables and jesus was like don't don't
1: throw stones what if <laughs> novel concept everyone what if we didn't throw stones um yeah yeah technically he's didn't he said let's not he was it was a mind game to not cut the baby in half you know um yeah but, yeah, absolutely. But everyone, for some reason, took away from it. Let's throw stones. <laughs> I, it's, it's yeah, a powerful, as she said, powerful, convincing mistake and lots of it. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, the, her perspective on it coming from someone in our world, right, where there are presumably less constraints than uh, in Lyra's world and on someone like Mrs. Coulter. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a sec.
0: Yeah. So Lyra asks Mary how she stopped being a nun. And Mary says she was great at physics. So she pursued her doctorate while being a nun. She was in an order that let her do that. They didn't wear habits. They dressed soberly and wore a crucifix. She went to a research conference in Lisbon, which was her first time leaving England. And she was dazzled by all of it. Wondering, what if people did turn up and listen to me? What if I mess up my presentation? But she was excited. She'd been obedient to the church. She'd wanted to serve God entirely until the evening after she gave her paper. She was relieved, proud, and had some well-known people listening in and was invited to a dinner after. She's like, why not? I've grown. I've done some great stuff. I should network. What's your LinkedIn? (laughs) The atmosphere is warm. The conversation is great. And after discovering she loves wine and grilled sardines, she goes to the garden. First mistake, biblically speaking, you never want to go to the garden. <laughs> Sitting under a lemon tree is a man she'd seen around the conference, Italian, and they spoke a bit.
1: That's a fruit tree, too. You know,
0: lemon tree. Yup. This yep. is it's the garden. They're in Bravos. Oh, wait. Oh, my God. Oh, wait. Danny, no. She explains that this guy isn't good looking, or else she couldn't have spoken to him, but he was nice and clever and funny and fun to talk to, which. That to me is sexier than good looking right there. Nice and funny and clever is good looking. I couldn't fuck someone who didn't make me laugh. You know, that's, I don't know. I need that. I think that's sexier and more intimate and scarier overall than a hot person.
1: Yeah. she it Depends on the point I was trying to make though. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> But we did discuss this dur- during our Patreon episode about fools.
0: That's true. That's true. Mary finds herself hoping he would think she was pretty and she was kind of astounded that she was flirting thinking of her vows and her boyfriend jesus because suddenly her vows and beliefs seem silly to her to think she'd be fine without having love ever wow if you guys have listened to our song of ice and fire chapters this is for you (laughs) where have we seen these themes before She compares to having thought love would be, like, going to China, that you know it exists, and some people get to go, and you don't have to go, but suddenly she realizes, wow, I've been to China. Ish.
1: Has she? Ish? It sounds like she hasn't.
0: I don't know. I don't know. She hadn't, though. This is about marzipan now, because someone had passed her something sweet and tasty. Marzipan. She remembers it. Sweet almond paste, March pain. She recalls tasting it for the first time as a young girl of 12 at a friend's birthday party where there was a disco and a boy had asked her to dance.
1: And we have this long passage where Mary describes what it's like to have a crush on someone when you're young. She's like, I like I liked him a lot, they talked, and there was birthday cake. And then he takes a bit of marzipan, then he gently puts it in her mouth. And I guess she really liked that, right? She tried to smile, blushing, and feeling foolish. It does feel like a foolish thing. I'd be like, what the fuck is going on? Why is someone feeding me something? And she fell in love with him just for that. And she says, for the gentle way he touched my lips with the marzipan. And then we have Mary describing, um, as Mary describes this, uh, the text tells us, as Barry said that Lyra felt something strange happen to her body. <laughs> She felt as if she had been handed the key to a great house she hadn't known was there. A house that was somehow deep inside her. And as she turned the key, she felt other doors opening deep in the darkness and lights coming on. She sat trembling as Mary went on. And I think it was at that party, or it might have been at another one, that we kissed each other for the first time. It was in a garden, and there was the sound of music from inside, and the quiet and the cool among the trees. And I was aching. All my body was aching aching for him. And I could tell he felt the same. And we were both almost too shy to move. Almost. But one of us did. And then suddenly, without any interval between, it was like a quantum leap. Suddenly, we were kissing each other. And oh, it was more than China. It was paradise. And we saw each other about half a dozen times, no more. And then his parents moved away. And I never saw him again. It was such a sweet time. So short. But there it was. I'd known it. I had been to China. It was the strangest thing. Lyra knew exactly what she meant. And half an hour earlier, she would have had no idea at all. And inside her, that rich house with all its doors open and all its rooms lit, stood waiting, quiet, expectant. I don't think Mary's been to China.
0: That's, no. Okay, we'll get there. We'll get there. But I don't think she has either. Let's talk about the US. Um... Jeez, Lyra's loins are lighting up. Oh, my you know? God. <laughs> um, I mean, that is what the fucking yeah. passage is, is Pullman's like, Lyra is having a small sexual awakening within her and realizing, wow, there's a tingly feeling within me. Uh, there is something interesting, though. So what you just read most of and paraphrased for us is the U.S. version. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not aware... The North American edition alters passages describing Lyra's sexuality, her awakening here. The UK edition includes this passage, so the long version is As Mary said that, Lyra felt something strange happen to her body. She found a stirring at the roots of her hair. She found herself breathing faster. She had never been on a roller coaster or anything like one, but if she had, she would have recognized the sensations in her breast. Exciting and frightening at the same time, and she had not the slightest idea why. The sensation continued and deepened and changed as more parts of her body found themselves affected too. She felt as if she had been handed the keys, blah, 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 blah. And then, of course, she sat trembling, hugging her knees, hardly daring to breathe as Mary went on. Um, All of that is amended down to... Lyra felt something strange happen, handed the key to a great house turned the key, felt the doors trembling deep in darkness, sat trembling as Mary went on. She doesn't hug her knees, actually, in the U.S. edition either to herself. Um, it's very much so slimmed down, right? It's very slimmed down. The uh, passion of the moment is very censored. Pullman has actually said about this awakening that this is exactly what happens in the Garden of Eden. It's why the Christian church has spent 2,000 years condemning this glorious moment. Well, he doesn't know. That's a mystery. He says he wants to confront that by telling this story that this so-called original sin is anything but. It's a thing that makes us fully human. And it is. Like, this is the moment where, you know, your mom and dad are trying to stop you from listening to rock and roll and getting into sex and drugs, right? Lyra, don't get into sex and drugs. I don't know. It's kind of like the funniest part, though, of the entire meta-fucking-publishing experience, especially... As people that aren't going to have a US version of the Imagination Chamber, we can leave that one to our Imagination Chambers. Oh my God. Uh, that the US seriously censored this when it's about feeling alive, being alive, having a human experience.
1: For what it's worth, the US didn't censor the Imagination Chamber. I just think they didn't think they could profit off of it, which is not necessarily the same thing. It's the same thing. <laughs> can we profit off it? No, skip it uh um yeah so <laughs> i uh yes yes to everything you said i i i think it's so funny that they changed it it seems so unnecessary of a change like a friend of mine uh who actually does listen to this podcast um uh she was telling me about how and she and i have long discussed this series for a while and she also read this about, I think, and so did her younger sister around the same age that I did. Um, and they reread these books when they were older. And I think her younger sister by that time was living in the UK and noticed that, what you had called out, that difference in passage, and like told her, she's like, no, no, it's different. They censored it, in, they had to have censored it in the versions that we had. She's like, I would have remembered, I would have remembered a line like, um, like, she recognized the sensations in her breast. She was, like, furious uh, yeah. about the whole thing. But, I mean, everything that you said, right, and Pullman saying this is what happened in the Garden of Eden, and this is what... I, I feel it's just really pointed, this idea of this sexual awakening being something the Christian church has been condemning for a long time, right? this condemnation of pleasure as though the denial of pleasure is for some reason virtue that innocence is somehow virtue versus experience which is what a lot Williams Blake's poems are about right that condemnation of that uh, corruption of the Christian church and it it just feels really pointed especially today
0: yeah yeah especially
1: today I guess we could give context on what today is Um, today (laughs) there
0: was a leak And usually when we talk about leaks, we're excited because it has to do with (laughs) fictional media, Uh. but this is not fictional media that was leaked. This is real-life media that the Supreme Court would like to strike down. The case, Roe versus Wade, that is existing to keep abortion legal in the United States and let a woman have a little bit of control over her body, and they are voting five to four, it seems, against, uh, against it existing anymore. So, with that in mind, the states will each take. In the United States, especially for those of you that may not know this yet, the states will be able to decide what will happen to the wombs of America. And some states, like the state I live in, will probably go red.
1: ha. <laughs> huh. ah, they will go a big
0: fat no for me. So,
1: you know who knows? Who knows? Um, things might turn. I don't know. Things might turn different yet. You know, they did here and overcame insurmountable odds. Who knows? If enough people... I don't know. Enough
0: people. Vote blue.
1: Oh my god, no. That is not what I was saying. That is not what I was saying. (laughs) Okay. Uh,
0: Vote. Vote really hard.
1: Uh, Ugh. Alright. So, um...
0: So yeah, back to uh, bodily autonomy and, you know people that have quote-unquote values quote-unquote
1: yeah um i i just i'm sorry i just take umbrage with this whole like i'm just like so mary so you haven't been to fucking china like she keeps talking about china all the time it's really weird weird. it's so weird and i'm just like you know someone gives mary marzipan and she's like and like the line then goes like and I thought am I really going to spend the rest of my life without ever feeling that again I thought I want to go to China it's full of treasures and strangeness and mystery and joy and I'm just like what the fuck love the other thing that you the other ideas that we have here Philip Pullman I do not love this what the fuck is this line I'm like this is China's the same people have sex in China like you do people fall in love in China like everywhere else in the fucking world all right it is very it's...
0: exoticized romanticized both
1: yeah yeah it's, it's weird it's like this weird like orientalism and i don't know i just got my hackles up because it's like asian american pacific islander history month Fuck yeah. as a southeast asian american myself and yeah. i'm just like Mary really picked a place that actually exists in her world. That actually exists in my world. All right. And was like, wow, it's so strange and so full of mystery, and I can just never know what China is really like. But I've been to China without having been to China. I'm like, I don't know, like, literally we're talking about this into context of, like, you are chilling in the world of the malefa right now. You have seen people exiting the world of the dead. You're with two kids who just came from the land of the dead and have met Vespians and, like, people (laughs) from all across all of the different worlds. And have been to Chittagatse and seen specters and you've been to Chittagatse and seen specters and you were like China you picked a place that like literally is real and exists in your world and that's what our author picked a place that is real and decided this is the metaphor to go to anyway don't blame her don't blame Mary Malone yeah I I understand the sentiment but I'm just like so just China's real it's a real place well that's the, the biggest part like, here here i don't know like, she literally
0: comes to mulefa land she learns that the mulefa have taught her way more than she ever would have known right she literally is like wow i've learned so much from the mulefa this is great and they've learned from me so in her mind she has realized that these people have brought her new things to learn And that aren't like other people, and that when you go to new lands, the people there are all different and you can learn from them, and none of them are the same.
1: But they're also the same. They're also still the same and human, you know? Right. That's part of it too. But offer you new things and
0: a new view on the world. So she just came here and thought all this, and now she's like, oh, but I've basically been to China. What? Yeah. But you haven't. The whole point is that you came here and you met all these new people. That taught you so many different things and communicated with you differently. So if you went to China, you would also do that.
1: Yeah. I don't know. And those people are way more similar to you than the, <laughs> the people you know, The Chinese people are more similar to you. Also, yeah. does Lyra have a China? Like, I forgot what the term is yes. in her world as well. She's just she like, does. what the fuck is going on? <laughs> She's like, what does that mean?
0: Uh, and I anyway. will say, you actually put it in a perfect way as two people that used to go to anime cons all the time when we were younger, (laughs) much younger. (laughs) Uh, Eliana referred to this to me as what we call a weeaboo, right? Someone who's very, very fascinated and obsessed to the point of fandom, you know, like this is their fandom, obsessed with everything coming out of Japan, culturally, the fashion, the pop culture, um, and that she is, you know, got a little China China weeaboo going on here.
1: We fetishization. I mean, actually, it literally is a fetishization of it, if you think about it, because she's just like, oh, yeah. oh China's so sexy. That's what it is, my sexual awakening. Um, but to what you were saying, as a quick side note, you know, and explaining the weeboo thing, I found this meme I just sent it to you, Chloe. It says, anime fans over 30 are now called Weeaboomers."
0: Oh, my God. Oh, man. Yeah, we've all been there. You know, we've all been there. We've all had our anime con days I don't know Mary it just might be time to pack it up a little but I don't know I do think there's something to talk about in the discussion as far as location mm-hmm. uh, there may be something for future novels to talk about so we could talk about that for yeah. sure we'll come back to that we won't just hate on that
1: yeah I'm Though just I, do want to,
0: I know I know you are I am too how dare he during AAPM <laughs> it is in front of my Filipina princess how dare you, Phil? <sighs> uh, he's not putting the Phil in Filipina, you know what I mean? Oh
1: my god, he's not. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> that is named after a Philip, but yeah. yeah. God damn it. God damn it. Uh, Anyways. Well so, done. I do
0: want to talk about Marzipan in totality. Uh, marzipan's origins do stem from the east, right? And there are a couple lines of origin. They're not necessarily contradictory. They actually might be complementary. There, there's always been Mediterranean trade and cooking influences, but uh, it's believed to be introduced through Turkey. Other sources establish it in China, where the recipe moved to the Middle East and then to Europe. Uh, March bread, right? March pain is another name for it. Marzipain. It's documented earlier in Italian than any other language. And the sense bread for pan is from romantic languages. So the very first origin that you can really find could be from Latin term Marchis panis, which is the bread of March. And there's even something interesting about it, metaphorically right, which represents sugar, sweetness, purity, uh, white and yellow, just like the poem at the front of this chapter, Virtue. And earlier we talked about our friend Ariana emailing us about Narnia and Turkish Delight. Uh, And in Narnia, they have Turkish Delight, which is a sweet made with starch and powdered sugar, often flavored with lemon or rose water, interestingly enough. It was Edmund's favorite sweet, and a magical version of it was offered to him by the White Witch. Like all of her magical food, it was highly addictive, making those who ate it want more and more, making them easy for her to control. And she was able to get information out of Edmund with that, right? Uh, to To help betray his siblings and family and bring them to her. And the Turkish delight she offered him made him feel sick afterwards, probably from the effects of too much sugar and the addictiveness of the witch's food. So Ariana had emailed us kind of talking about how it's kind of the opposite, right? That this marzipan that Mary is offering them is very much symbolically the opposite. She's offering them knowledge and offering them a way to be out on their own and to operate on their own in the real world.
1: Yeah, I I really, I thought that was just such a fantastic.
0: That's brilliant. Yeah, it's such a great thought. Observation. I think it is his response to that. Oh,
1: I, I think I think Ariana has, like, literally right on the nose, like, has hit the nail on the head, like, it's, I think it's a brilliant call out of, yes, this is, this is his rebuttal of saying, no, take joy in the sweets, in the sweetness of life, and don't avoid it, right, it's not bad to take pleasure in things, and I, I thought that was so great.
0: And as a rebuttal, it's also an end cap rebuttal, right? Mm. We started the books with Lyra in the retiring room, bursting out, uh, hearing that oh, knowledge. yes. Hearing knowledge. And here she's accepting knowledge, marzipan knowledge, right? That's the response to Turkish Delight as that was the response to Narnia uh, in the front in the retiring room.
1: Yeah, like busting out of that little, that wardrobe, right? Or a closet. Mm-hmm. Um, same as how the wardrobe is the portal in The um, line the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And also there's a, you know, Mr. Tumnus, right? Yes. Tumness. <laughs> That's fucking <laughs> James McAvoy, a.k.a. Lord Asriel, in this series. Mm-hmm. James McAvoy yeah. plays yeah. Mr. Tumnus, the Fawn Tumnus, in uh, the <laughs> Narnia movies.
0: My god.
1: So there's that. Yeah. So thank you, Ariana. Thank you so much for writing that email and sending those thoughts.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Mary thinks that no one will be better off for her going to bed. She resists the temptation. No one is better for her denying herself. No one will commend her for her obedience. She says, heaven was empty. I didn't know whether God had died or whether there had never been a God at all.
1: So there are a couple of things happening here. A, as you all know, Lyra and Will have just killed God. Um, just a quick reminder, but B. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, my authority. We'll come back to that in a second. But this line, heaven was empty, stands out to me. First of all, it reminds me a little bit of Evangelion, but ignoring that. Um, it also feels like a play on that famous line from Romeo and Juliet, which those of you who watch Westworld probably like know by heart by now of hell is empty and all the devils are here. Um. Only, as we all know, yes, heaven is in fact emptying out within this story. The angels are flung across all the worlds, and the souls are that inhabited heaven, well... They are, in fact, here. Mary just saw them. They were all clamoring towards her. And she's like, whoa, this is very cool. It was not. Um, and their atoms are drifting across the world. They are drifting across this one here. And it shifts that focus from being about heaven to, again, returning to here, this spot where the not devils are, but I would say demons, if you will have been this whole time and Mary speaks of God having died and we know that Lyra again and Will have more or less accidentally killed God they are like oh no he's trapped and freed him and Marisa and Asriel then killed the other one pretending to be God um His Dark Materials takes this phrase on a much more literal plane there are some who do believe that it is a literal thing when it comes to theological beliefs in our own world And by that, I mean in the real world, outside the context of the story. And I'm sure others have probably discussed this in the context of His Dark Materials. I'm very, very sure. Like, it's it's very clear. It's very obvious. Like, but where they are, some folks are probably going to speak to it also. There's a couple of different philosophies and theologies, again, around this idea of God is dead. I think the most famous one is probably from Nietzsche. Um, It's popularly quoted as God is dead, God remains dead, and we have killed him, how shall we comfort ourselves, the murderers of all murderers? What was the holiest and mightiest of all that the world has yet owned, has bled to death under our knives. Who will wipe his blood off us, what water is there for us to clean ourselves, what festivals of atonement, what sacred games shall we have to invent?" Is not the greatness of this deed too great for us? Must we ourselves not become gods simply to appear worthy of it? That feels pointed. You might get there. But this line <laughs> comes from The Gay Science by Nietzsche. And again, um, the idea of God is Dead is further popularized in Thus Spake Zarathustra*. And there's an aspect of like the latter work that proposes the idea of an ubermensch. And I'm not going to go into that too much because... That idea ends up controversially getting appropriated by Nazis and eugenicists in pursuit of a Superman or perfect human doesn't go well for us in real life. And the idea uh, – there's also this idea of, like, women's standards, like, measurement of how well they are, like, are getting to producing an Ubermensch. And I'm like, I don't know how well this philosophy holds up, (laughs) to be honest, But, but – Really get back to just like the idea phase, this like more themes idea area of the Uber mentioned. ignoring that. Um, there are echoes, I would say, uh, in historic materials about like freedom that nihilism can promise, right? This idea of like the open sea, the Malayfa, and this town is like right by this large expanse of sea. Um, and we also see a shift in focus from living for an other world, right? Or heaven. For then, a focus on the this worldliness, which is part of that philosophy when it comes to the ubermensch, and embracing, therefore, that earthly delight, and seeing the soul as part of the body, that's part of that philosophy, and which we see put forth throughout this series. And there's also this emphasis on living, so that there will be stories to be told to return, so that you can use that as payment to return to, again, this world and the world of experience. There's also another aspect of God is dead um, that Hegel discusses of like the pure concept, however, of infinity is the abyss of nothingness in which all being sinks must characterize the infinite pain, which previously was only in culture historically and as the feeling on which rests modern religion, the feeling that God himself is dead. And you know what? I'm sure that you can all start to see maybe where I'm going with this just a little. with the idea of the abyss and nothingness coinciding you know in timing with like the death of god in this series but honestly you can like ponder on that but i am going to come back to this in a later episode because it's so close and i just don't feel like doing it in the discussion
0: (laughs) no i get you and i think that's smart because uh, and going back to Nietzsche, like I I think we've talked a little bit about a will to nothingness and a will to power from him too as well, right? Will. And, (laughs) haha, which will? Free will. His fear of nihilism and the reaction to come was actually shown in Will to Power and he says, what I relate is the history of the next two centuries. I describe what is coming, what can no longer come differently, the advent of nihilism. For some time now, our whole European culture has been moving us toward a catastrophe. Mm. And, you see that reflected in the book right through the specters through the metaphor of people walking like zombies through the streets being denied their free will i think that's a great connection to kind of bring some of those thoughts maybe not the not as far as the uber mensch we don't have time today (laughs) Uh, but uh from the gay science especially that's a great connection to draw
1: and and we see the risk of it right like the specter if you will of nihilism even raised here when mary has that crisis she's like well what the fuck is the point of anything that now she's like i know i pondered this back then but now i'm really pondering it now that i've relived this and then comes to an answer and the series gives us an answer for that too so
0: because that's the biggest thing like once you give that up in life it's hard you can't just have it back without you know all of these little these little rules these rules set in your life. Once you give up that choice of loving.
1: Yeah. And
0: once you've experienced it, you can't just give it up.
1: Yeah. Choice of loving choice of yeah. Experience and a point of it all.
0: Yeah. Because otherwise it's just the abyss.
1: Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and again, the series does propose an answer to that, which we will get to. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So Mary
0: Malone had felt free and lonely Uh, in her story in her memory she ate the marzipan and the guy knew that something had happened to her but she couldn't say so she just left him and she walked along the beach and threw her crucifix into the sea the guy at the conference had been named alfredo mental lyra asked if mary kissed him and she says yes but not then good for you yeah make him wait Will asks if it was difficult to leave the church, and Mary says yes. A lot of people were disappointed, but it was also easy because it made sense. She explains she never married, but she did live with someone for four years until they decided they were happier not living together. And that guy had taught her to climb mountains, but she prefers solitude and work.
1: So that's how she survived this whole place. <laughs> That's how she made it through Chittagatse. I do think there's something powerful there for Mary to suggest, like a different way of living, right? That doesn't fit with the Western ideal of the nuclear family. Also that walking away at the church, especially when you look at it in contrast with Marisa Coulter, right? Um, Mary's a woman who chose solitude and work rather than motherhood. And I think it's fine for her to Mm -hmm. like want motherhood. But again, you think of her in contrast uh, to Marisa and Asriel, Marisa wanted all of it, right? She wanted companionship. She wanted motherhood. She wanted ambition and power and love. And she was told you can't have any of those connections. You can't have any of the joy, only the church and the power that it gives you. Um, and whether or not like Lyra's parents could understand. I think that's a question, right? Did their love run its course or not? I don't know. Um, either way, they don't have a choice now. Uh, they're hurtling through the abyss together forever and i don't know i'm a i personally am a a romantic so i don't know how i feel about those things but i do respect that there are alternate paths for adulthood and again the idea is that love can run its course etc in this story
0: yeah and i actually think there's something really nice in that and like marriage is a construct right in many forms i mean people couple off peoples have always coupled off or found a love and that doesn't mean it's everlasting right but historically like it's easier to find a partner to share your life with however it's a construct it doesn't mean you have to sign a fucking piece of paper to the government to love someone (laughs) and i think that's really important in this world for lyra's world right especially for mary for mary to be able to to have loved and to say that she is still open to love but that she enjoys solitude that's okay that is okay i think Mm -hmm. that's good to enjoy yourself in solitude and to love yourself because you are the only person you're given at first in the world right until you build a community of peoples around you
1: that's a great point yes absolutely absolutely
0: Mary doesn't you? really remember this Aw, wait, you love me? We've been, we've been
1: together for four years Just like Mary and this man <laughs> Is it time to pack it up? We just had, apparently Parents have called out It has been our four year pot first episode anniversary or so
0: It's true And you know, you make me climb mountains, Eliana
1: <laughs> No, I don't We're not doing that <laughs> We're not it feels fucking like climbing f- mountains
0: Fucking mountain.
1: <laughs> yeah. Metaphorically to China. <laughs>
0: uh, so Mary doesn't really remember the little boy at the party when she was a kid, other than his name was Tim. Uh, and-, and Lyra's suddenly remembering, she's like, What about the time me and you met? You said you became a scientist to not think about good and evil. Did you think about it when you were a nun? Mary says no, but she knew she had to agree with the church where science let her think about other things. Now, Mary says she still believes in good and evil, but not that the powers are external.
1: We have this line of, I came to believe that good and evil are names for what people do, not for what they are. All we can say is that this is a good deed because it helps someone, or that's an evil one because it hurts them. People are too complicated to have simple labels. Lyra agrees and asks if Mary misses God. Yes, terribly, and I still do. And what I miss most is the sense of being connected to the whole of the universe. I used to feel like I was connected to God like that. And because he was there, I was connected to the whole of his creation. But if he's not there, then... And then, you know, Mary trails off. And as she does, nature sings around her. We get a lot of, like, beautiful imagery. And she is also surrounded by Atal and Will and Lyra. And finally, we end with the line of, soon, she thought, soon I'll know. Mary was tired. She'd run out of stories. No doubt she'd think of more tomorrow.
0: Mm. I love that this is her sole mission now. She's like, I just have to find the right one that is going to make it so they save everything. You know, mm-hmm. and, and the stories are so powerful. Uh, they connect us to one another, right? To our shared traditions, truths, oh my god, <laughs> emotions. They, they help us share enthusiasm, empathy, sorrow, joy, to celebrate each other, to connect through these emotions and experiences. They create threads that tie us to one another that make us a people, not a person. Ancient storytellers were powerful. Bards, troubadours, minstrels, orators, playwrights. Primitive artwork in caves, murals depicting rituals, ancient Greek legends, myths, the epic of right up to the Bible, to Shakespeare, to the first photograph in 1826. In the 9th century, we have Scheherazade, a storyteller who was the main character framed in the Middle Eastern collection of the tales of 1001 Nights. She was said to save her own life by prolonging her storytelling, entrancing with her stories, able to delay another day storytelling shapes the reality of world in our minds just last night i was sitting down to watch degrassi the next generation season four time yes. stands still part one slash part two where there is a very upsetting school shooting right it was a pretty big component of millennial aughts pop culture in its time and at the end of the episode there is this crazy moment i am being serious you guys during oh, this yeah. like this oh, yeah. was powerful uh, this was a big this moment yeah you're presented drake, to- drake was in this yeah, this is this Drake was in this. Um, I'd say this is a huge moment of its time, but like re-watching this, I've just been re-watching Degrassi, you guys. That's where I, I am in the I'm pandemic. I think you're
1: starting it. Um, I hope you soon. do. You know,
0: whatever it takes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so there's this moment you you go through these children's stories and why this character shoots up the school, right? You see him pushed to his limit. Uh, And at the very end, there's kind of an antagonistic news reporter who has been recently introduced, maybe once or twice, who has a one to two sentence summary of how it all happened. The two episodes summed up to like two sentences. And it's totally meta because it's erasing everything around it. You see how this child was pushed to his limit and how his classmates also were treated poorly too, right? Like not forgiving anyone in this. Everyone was bad in this episode, uh, but the reporter was able to swiftly erase all of the storytelling we watched in those two episodes into two sentences. Like, that's a silly example, but it's not, right? That's life. You watch a news headline, and that news headline could never be a replacement for hearing tales of what people have been through, right? Uh, you, you could take Will and Lyra as this, the fated children, right? The prophesied children saving existence through love and virtue, Adam and Eve. But that's likening those these three books right to to a headline when we've read their struggle and their journey and their story and it's so much deeper than that so i love tell them stories i love that as a theme thank you pullman that's it's beautiful work you did good phil you did good
1: he did he did and i what you said is it's beautiful um and it's true right like i mean stories do connect us to one another and i i mean that's how you and i met right yeah. like that's how you met your husband that's <laughs> how we it's how we've met made like a lot of our friends right like and it's mm-hmm. it's powerful and it's something that beyond just like bringing people together it's a way that you get people to understand um, you know, like you you talked about this degrazi episode and how like just one to two lines like doesn't sum up the whole of all that experience. But through a story, maybe you'll never live it, right? Maybe you won't, mm-hmm. but it helps bridge the gap between one person's experience and another by telling them that, hey, this is my story. This is what I've been through, and the hope that you close the little gaps, those little abysses, and seal up those cuts in the world, so that. People can become closer.
0: Yeah, well said.
1: And yeah, and I, I, I also like that you brought up Scheherazade's One Thousand and One Nights. It's a story within a story and also she was, yeah, just gotta keep reading. <laughs> she was like, mm. <laughs> no spoilers, gotta go to sleep. So tired. <laughs> the ultimate cliff oh, she was a master of cliffhangers, I guess she must have been.
0: Yeah, she was real good. Yeah. She didn't have any lingering books, man. She just every day a new chapter.
1: <laughs> well, okay, she wasn't allowed to have any lingering books. <laughs> uh. Well, there is now. Chapter thirty-four. I just keep thinking of that Flaming Lips song. All we ever have is now. I can't. I can't sing right now. <laughs> I, I don't doing. know if you know the one. I don't know if you know the one. I'm I know
0: exactly about. what you're singing. Yes.
1: I'll link it, everyone. (laughs) We open with a line of Shoe you alive, the world where every particle of dust breathes forth its joy. And that's by... I mean, you guys are never going to guess which poet this one's from. Is it Lizzo? (laughs) It's It's Lizzo! It's Lizzo. Um, No, unfortunately, it's William Blake. William Blake...
0: Wow, Billy, Billy B, Baby Billy Blake,
1: (laughs) Baby Billy. Oh my God, that's right. We
0: said it's been a couple episodes.
1: Oh my God, (laughs) that one. Um, one of the actors, Quinta Brunson from Abbott Elementary. Her uh, her handle right now on Twitter is Uncle Baby Billy.
0: Oh my God, Uncle Uh, Baby Billy Blake.
1: (laughs) Uncle Baby Billy Blake. It's too
0: much. It's too much. You know, we talk so much about Baby Billy Blake and his influence in Pullman's works. And believe it or not, Pullman has spoken at length about William Blake and his influence in his works. And I really love this interview, which I will link for you guys. I have it linked here in our notes. One such impulse of certainty concerns the nature of the world. It's twofold, consisting of matter and spirit. Or is it all one thing? Is dualism wrong? And if so, how do we account for consciousness? In the opening passage to Europe, A Prophecy, Blake recounts how he says to a fairy, Tell me, what is the material world and is it dead? In response, the fairy promises to shoo you all alive the world where every particle of dust breathes forth its joy. This is close to the philosophical position known as panpsychism. This is known as the philosophical position as panpsychism, or the belief that everything is conscious, which has been argued back and forth for thousands of years, unless we deny consciousness exists at all. It seems that we have to believe either in a thing called spirit that does the consciousness, or that consciousness somehow emerges when matter reaches the sort of complexity we find in the human brain. Another possibility, which is what Blake's fairy is describing, is that matter is conscious itself. And why shouldn't it be? Why shouldn't consciousness be a normal property of matter, like mass? Let every particle of dust breathe forth its joy. I don't argue this. I perceive it, says Pullman. I I love that. Pullman perceives this.
1: It's such a wonderful way to explain, like, how, I mean, yeah, where we're going with the story what dust is about Loki reminds me a little of the song colors of the wind from the very historically <laughs> inaccurate movie pocahontas but yes absolutely great call out i will say about william blake we might end up actually having to talk about blake more in um the book of dust there's definitely oh, yeah. of course some influences i i learned that there's a william blake mcu um, this poem, Europe, A Prophecy is part of it. You all might remember, we talked about the other poem, America, A Prophecy. Anyway, it's like this whole thing. There's like, one of the guys is called like, Urizen, spelled U-R-I-Z-E-N but it's supposed to be that he represents your reason, like your reasoning and I did not make that up. Like, William Blake <laughs> did that. Um, mm-hmm. He's got an emanation, aka, like, counterpart Ahenia who represents, like, pleasure but also wisdom and intellectual desire with a sexual twist, right? They have, like, a bunch of kids together and shit. In some mythos, they have more than, like, it, it's different. And by that, I mean within William Blake's mythos, his extended universe. And we've discussed before, like, things like Albion, etc. But anyways, Blake's mythology definitely influences his dark materials, especially considering you know, Blake's influenced by Milton and like the themes of religious criticism and stuff. And I also get the sense, like I said, we'll probably have to discuss this more with Books of Dust. I don't think that's a spoiler. Just ideas.
0: No, it's definitely something that's coming back. He, uh, I mean, he relies on Blake a lot for his his little inspirational moments. That's really what inspired him the most about this series is bringing some of those thoughts into it. I love that.
1: But now Mary can't sleep. Fear is creeping whenever she closes her eyes. Instead of, you know, night pictures and dreams. Probably because a bunch of ghosts came after her. I, too, would be afraid. But anyways. (laughs) After three to five times, she realizes she's just not sleeping. And she gets up and goes away from the tree. It's a beautiful moonlit night. Mary hears large beasts migrating and thinks that the animals migrate for a purpose. The clouds move by chance, however intentional it seems. And she feels so different and purposeless.
0: Yeah, she has this thought, unlike her, the clouds seem to know what they're doing and why, and the wind knew and the grass knew. The entire world was alive and conscious. She climbs a slope to look at mud flats and fleeing shadows, and then she goes up to her climbing tree, which right now it's conversing with the wind, which is one language she cannot quite understand. I kind of love that she goes to her tree as a hangout, almost like a tree house and Mm. full of sheer innocence like Will and Lyra are, almost putting herself into the same mind frame. It's a place of serenity, right? And it reminds me of Keats, uh, that negative capability, getting her thought process into place. And it's almost a sanctuary. Is that a theme? Mm. Almost a sanctuary. She longs to join up into her climbing tree to talk to the wind, thinking of what she told Will about missing God and missing feeling connected to to the alive world, to the meaningful world. Christianity made her feel a little bit connected, but she left it and she felt loose and free and light in a universe without purpose. Finding shadows brought her here, eventually, but she still feels cut off from meaning. So she heads to the tree to climb and lose herself in dust, and she hears a groaning, The tree she knew so well begins to fall. She finds her rope still tied to its branches as it lies on the ground.
1: I don't know if this is like a symbol or something, right? Like, obviously these trees have come to symbolize knowledge. Is it like the tree of knowledge falling down and the constraints of the dead god thrown off and that good and evil and knowledge, they're now here on the earth, accessible to all.
0: Yeah, I I mean, I think especially the way this chapter ends, right? This is definitely- showing that there's still danger out there. That um, too, yeah. On top of it. So I think that's to come. And, you know, knowledge has fallen to the earth. Yeah. It's uh she did her job. I think that's definitely also the sign. Like you did it. Even though it seems like a negative connotation. You did it, Mary. You told your story. Yeah. It's gonna change the world. I swear. She climbs what she can, what's left, and she looks through her spyglass, watching the movement of clouds and then watching dust. It was flowing faster as though it's taking the whole world with its flood. And suddenly, Mary has kind of like a science genius thought, putting all these dates together of the subtle knife was made 300 years ago, and the mulefa, the, with their sraf, 33,000 years ago. It started falling 300 years ago and failing. The sraf stopped flowing right. The subtle knife's owners had been careless, leaving windows open, which must be true if Mary had seen some, and she thinks that... Suppose all this time, little by little, dust had been leaking out of the wounds the subtle knife made in nature. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. Theory. Yeah. I don't I don't
1: know. What do you think? Hmm. It's an interesting theory. Hmm. Hmm. Well, Mary realizes that the knife might be responsible for the smaller leaks, but this flood was new, bigger, and catastrophic, and it would lead all conscious life to end. The malefist showed her dust came from living things, being self-conscious, not the same kind that I am, <laughs> and it must be nurtured with thought, imagination, feeling. Uh, otherwise, it would snuff out in every world.
0: Yeah, Basically, we all need to take a giant leap into the imagination chamber, chamber. is what Pullman is <laughs> saying. <laughs> Give uh, Philip
1: Pullman your money for this new novella.
0: Oh, man. Yeah, that's a free ad, Pullman, even if you didn't want to let it be published here, you know? Even if you didn't he want He wanted argue. it to.
1: He seemed Only bitter. for Chloe.
0: Yeah, he did seem better. He
1: seemed a little bitter. He was like, well, the U.S. didn't want it.
0: You should have fought for me, Pullman, is what I'm trying to tell you. You know? Should have fought for me should have
1: yeah should be all right to the editor we could
0: we We, uh, we should honestly we should honestly every american should should because even if there's only 17 of us that wanted it we wanted it god damn it we wanted. i don't
1: i don't remember like how we do it but i i know uh i've been anyways i i'm sure there's a way we can do it i I think if we if we get just 50 of us I think at least 50 is enough, right?
0: There are hundreds of us, Eliana. Hundreds.
1: There literally could be. There might be. Let's do this for Philip Pullman.
0: Well, I want to bring up something. uh, Actually, I read it from a essay that I really wanted to bring up by Avshalom M. Schwartz, uh, who wrote about Plato and imagination right and kind of breaking down some of what plato thought about imagination and he wrote that plato thought imagination is primarily associated with the irrational part of the soul dealing with the visible realm especially with images shadows and reflections imagination's capacity to perceive and process suggests it plays a role in the higher activities of the soul Both reasoning and understanding require use of images, so while the imagination partakes in the production of knowledge and understanding, at the same time it's unstable, prone to mistakes susceptible to deception. The sensual perception of shadows and reflection can create confusion in our souls, which is abused by various agents, most importantly mimetic artists, the imitator. Plato argues is nothing other than a producer of appearances and phantoms, which are directed at and operate on imagination. So it's an exploitation of our soul's weakness by various products of mimetic art, in turn, compared by Plato to nothing less than witchcraft or a mighty spell or charm that can capture the soul. I thought it was so interesting that Mary's kind of getting this understanding that dust must be nurtured by thought, imagination, and feeling and not false thought and false imagination. But, you know, pure virtuous thought, innocent thought, pure thought. And it's interesting that imagination is put in this book so much as a threat to political order when we see the Magisterium copying some of these very things that Plato says, right? Mimetric artists, basically, turning tricks, mighty spells, mighty charms to keep a society down under their belt.
1: Yeah, it is that, I mean, with imagination, you can imagine that a world that's better than this one, right?
0: Yeah. It's a threat. Exactly. Absolutely. That's a threat. That is absolutely it. Like, if you can yes. imagine that there's better, then maybe you could attain it. Because as we're reading of this consciousness, that maybe consciousness is active and real and alive. What then? Yeah. What do they do then? How do they stop us then, if we can do anything through the power of friendship?
1: <laughs> through the power of your imagination, but literally,
0: <laughs> your imagination chamber.
1: Open the chamber doors. Let it all out. So, thinking about all this. Thinking is hard, okay? And, like, Mary feels burdened and old. Like, she's 80 and longing to die. Same. It's a big mood. (laughs) It's a big mood. (laughs) She heads back to the village and looks at the stream one last time and then sees the purpose of the clouds and wind and trees and everything. Realizes they are trying to keep the dust from leaving, We have this passage of matter love dust, it didn't want to see it go, that was the meaning of this night, and it was Mary's meaning too. Had she thought there was no meaning in life, no purpose, when God had gone? Yes, she had thought that. "'Well, there is now!' she said aloud, and again, louder, "'There is now!' As she looked again at the clouds and the moon and the dust flow, they looked as frail and doomed as a dam of little twigs and tiny pebbles trying to hold back the Mississippi. But they were trying all the same. They'd go on trying till the end of everything.
0: Ah, that's a metaphor too, just like the battle against the authority. All the little people- The world is big, but little people, turn it around.
1: Yeah, like the (laughs) gallivespians.
0: Exactly. (laughs) It, I mean, it's just lame, is my god. Uh, Mary doesn't actually know how long she stayed out, but as she heads up, she sees something strange in the mud flaps. She sees a steady white glow coming with the tide. It's alone, but has a very similar shape, which is strange for Tulapi. She's about to warn the village when she sees a man leave the single Tualopi's back. On his back is a long stick, and he moves like a hunter down the path. It's a gun. A chill runs through Mary as she sees him step into the village, going house to house. She wills herself to not look under the tree where the children are asleep, and when the man gets to her house, she can't take it, and she runs down the slope. She stops herself from yelling so as to not wake the children who would reveal themselves. A stir of dust goes up when he enters her house. Lol, not that kind. When he leaves, he looks past the tree, and Mary realizes what an easy shot she is. But the man is only interested in the village, and he leaves on the birds back again. Everything was feeling far too familiar and sweet and magical at this point, so it's very good to have this awful interruption of horror, because we have Daddy Gomez, Father Gomez, which... Look, if you're not paying attention to casting news for the His Dark Materials series... They cast kind of a good looking guy. So I'm just like, why are we making the colonizer hot all over again? This is Ariane Bakar 69 all over again.
1: Yes, they do love doing that. And I understand it's partially just like show business, like cast beautiful people, I guess. But also hilarious. Hilarious. Um, Yeah. Last, you know, earlier on you're talking about how like the danger is still looming in this story, as we find out at the end of the chapter. Mm-hmm. Here's the end of the chapter, you know, like we talked last episode, I think, about the usage of Thief in the Night in the Bible, mm-hmm. and needing to prepare, be prepared for when the Lord comes. And rather than using it about Marisa's love for Lyra, you know, a.k.a. messianic figure coming back or whatever, we're flipping it around now and having it be a reminder of the church coming to your door. woo <laughs> 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 uh, and And is the Bible warns Somehow, like, you know, through a beautiful little chance, they were prepared, sheltered by the tree and innocence, and they were not in the house, so they did not die, thankfully. It's also a great inversion of showing us that, yes, as we see throughout these two chapters before, one, humans, amazing, full of wondrous discoveries, and beautiful sharing of stories and wonderful things, uh, as Mary does when she sees the importance of dust and matter, and we have that double entendre of like, we have now, right? Like, she's like, I, I, it has meaning now. And also now is important, but you have that juxtaposed against humans are also capable of really great horror as well. As we saw in the first book with all the kids dying and shit, say, and now we have like just one man here has organized all the birds and led a bird rebellion. All right. Birds aren't real. Okay. No, um, went too far. But he has I mean, weaponized Dualipa. <laughs> oh my God!
0: Uh, leave Dualipa out of this, you know. <laughs> yeah, it, it is crazy because in the you know you feel like you've won. We've defeated God. We've killed God or fake God or whatever you want to call him, and we've stopped this oppression that was coming from the Magisterium and maybe we'll talk a little bit about this in the discussion, but it's not over. Evil is never gone. It is always there lurking, and here he comes riding up on a Dua Lipa.
1: <laughs> Call that levitating.
0: <sighs> I quit. I quit this <laughs> podcast. I'm not even firing you. I just quit. It's been a great four years. I hope you have a great four years alone. Yep. Um, stories did
1: not save us <laughs> <this> goodbye. <laughs> Don't tell them stories. Uh, oh, my God
0: i'm just kidding i thought that was very funny you're very clever eliana i'm glad when you tell me stories or bad jokes well if you have not caught up with the end of the amber spyglass the his dark materials novellas or the books of dust that are currently published La Belle Sauvage, and the secret commonwealth you may want to log off we have a quick dust discussion to talk about today Shouldn't be too long, so you won't be missing too much, but we will see you hopefully at the end of the month for our penultimate, penultimate, His Dark Materials, the Amber Spyglass episode.
1: I feel we have given you enough time. Here's the discussion.
0: Let's get dusty. All right, there's some rudeness in these chapters, Eliana, as you've pointed out. However, I have to point these two lines out. She hopes and thinks when Pan forgave her and came back, the hours they'd spend just talking, just telling each other everything. And then, a follow-up thought. She thinks usually Pan dries her and goes over possibilities for what he'd settle as, and then wonders if Pan isn't even thinking about her. Ugh. Ugh, the secret commonwealth oh my god the beginning of the so secret sad. commonwealth literally manifests all of these fears that lyra has about pan and their relationship being broken forever and ever it's so sad how hopeful she is in these chapters that like i can feel everything about pan we're still one and then we opened the secret commonwealth and it's all broken
1: i i for me it makes sense i know th- That's actually the part that I liked about the Secret Commonwealth. Oh yeah, same. I like like this this exploration puberty, but like that's actually I think for me like a that part in the Secret Commonwealth. Yeah, that's such a really great capturing of actually entering young adulthood. You know?
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. Being like I'm fucking lost. I don't know
1: myself. Yeah.
0: (laughs) It is. That's honestly Lyra in the Secret Commonwealth makes sense it makes total sense like we've all been the heart you know you have a first love you get heartbroken a little you're lost you're finding yourself maybe you're making decisions that like aren't with your fullest confidence like what you used to do when you're a teenager you changed I think it's the best way he honestly could have taken it it, you have to I mean that's what we want from the end though right of Book of Dust 3 like they have to come together in some sort of compromise to live with one another right
1: God. I mean, yeah, or she—I don't know. She can get therapy. Oh my god, <laughs> what the she rest needs of us it. have to
0: do? <laughs> that girl needs some closure on life, mm-hmm. you know. Okay, so coming back, I want to come back. The one stipulation I will put in for Mary's obsession with China makes me wonder if Pullman is really just hoping to lead his books of dust east, and maybe he was really, really into making that a thing. Like, he obviously has some fascination with it. He won't leave it alone in these books. Uh, and, And from a standpoint of life, the beginning of life, the beginning of many myths, right? We talked about how you have your Turkish delight. You have your marzipan coming from the east. Going east makes a lot of sense. Holy grounds, right? Places where all of our stories stem from. A journey east, a pilgrimage for Lyra, in a way. So that's interesting. To, to localize it to put that into context for the later books so i'll give him that that's the only stipulation i have but during aapi month my god phil
1: <laughs> yeah how dare how dare um but oh, no so i he wrote you're...
0: this in the 90s also was during aapi month how phil... dare he
1: during may uh, does he not know, <laughs> what, he know? I, what i'm going through um <laughs> Yeah, no, I I agree. I think it does show that he's always been kind of interested in that. Um, And exploring his world more in that way. So, absolutely. I I do think it does signal that. It's interesting. I think
0: that's what he's going towards. I don't know that I necessarily think he needed to lay it on so thick.
1: He didn't have to do it, like, yeah, the way that he did. But, like, I mean, just to what you were saying, right? Like, you have it in there. You have it in, like, I think, you have hints towards it. If I'm not mistaken, in like Lyra's Oxford, which came out not that long after this series.
0: Yeah. Right. That's true. With all of her college notes.
1: Yeah. And I don't think that, I don't think that came out. I don't think that's from a later edition. It could be, but I I don't think it is. No. I don't know.
0: I don't think so at all. I think, uh, and we talked about this a little bit in our Lyra's Oxford episode, actually, kind of talking at the end about some of, The meta implications of what that means Pullman had planned. And this would have been originally published in 2003, Lyra's Oxford. So in my opinion, it means that he's always had kind of this... I mean, it's his character, right? Like, these these are his babies. Will and Lyra are his babies. Of course, he knows where they go in his head, whether it's fully fleshed out or not. And I'm sure, as we see from the lantern slides, we know that there are tons, tons, tons of places that he wants to take them in his mind. Yeah. So, and uh, I mean I, and and that's changed. I mean it's also probably changed a little bit here and there. Uh but I think the broad strokes have remained the same.
1: Yeah, he's changed the scope of it I think and like I I don't blame him. I think we see a lot of people, right? They build a fantasy world and obviously they want to explore it and I think that's that's wonderful. That's beautiful. Tell us stories, shit. Yeah. Uh, but don't tell me bad stories. <laughs> that
0: that is a Only great. Only tell me
1: good stories.
0: <laughs> a great thing. Well, sometimes uh, you have to finish a story, Eliana, before you tr- can judge whether it's good or bad because you can't just judge a book by its cover. And how many pages is the Secret Commonwealth? However many pages, you can't just judge a book by however many pages the Secret Commonwealth is, Eliana.
1: I'm judging it
0: based on your reaction. <laughs>
1: it's also, <laughs> but yes, agreed. Um, <sighs> It seems like the judgment that I've come to isn't the wrong one, based on your responses.
0: I don't know. Um, I really look forward to slow reading it with you again. Yeah, just so I can kind of
1: slow. It's like slow know. dancing. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's like a slow dance through the story.
1: Oh, I thought. Okay, cool. Yeah, that too.
0: <laughs> waltzing, waltzing through waltzing,
1: it. Waltzing, yeah, waltzing. Yeah.
0: Sometimes you just gotta waltz through it. Mm, Truly. Uh, well, I think that wraps up this episode of the Amber Spyglass. Oh, God. It's hurting. It's hurting. Thanks it so is. much for listening, y'all. We missed you. We're glad to be back with you. Glad to talk at you. Um, Yeah.
1: Sad. Indeed. Indeed. Um, If you're here, that means that you know what happens. And you know it only gets sadder. But thanks for being on this journey with us, you know. It's the journey that really matters and the friends we made along the way.
0: Oh my god. That we are
1: torn away from at the very end. Wait, hold on. <laughs> thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, if you have any thoughts... Uh, just like Ariana did, feel free to let us know. You can send us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com That's canon or you can always find us on Twitter and shoot us a tweet or a DM at girlsgonecanon Canon on Twitter.
0: Yes. And if you're not already, make sure you're pressing the follow button over at a podcast streaming platform near you, whether that is Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, <laughs> Amazon Podcasts, iHeart Radio, where we're hosted over at Podbean, you name it, give us a Google, you'll find us there.
1: And you can also always find us on our Patreon at patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, where patrons in the Stranger Tier and above, or the $5 tier and above, get a bonus episode, and this month it is the Imagination Chamber, which, if you are a US listener, you may want to order now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, get that on order now so you can read it by end of month so we don't have to spoil you. And if you are interested in joining our Patreon in the Stranger tier, or if you want to upgrade to the Thunder tier, our $10 tier and above, you'll get access to a private Discord server where you can chat with His Dark Materials fans just like you. Come hang out and come to the His Dark Materials series rewatches that we're doing. We're getting through series two right now through May and June. And, you know, hang out at brunch, which will be May 22nd this month from 1 to 3 p.m. Eliana time.
1: Oh, God. Uh, yes. Yes, we hope to see you there, or at one of, again, our rewatches. <sighs> Thanks, everyone, for listening. I have been one of your hosts, Eliana.
0: And I have been yet another one of your hosts, Chloe.
1: <laughs> Goodbye. Thank you. Thank you. There is now. Oh my god. <sighs> oh, tell them stories. Bye. <laughs>